0: We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports
1: Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm the host of the show Today, I've got Brant Daughtry and Brooks Childress with me as we're on the full three hours today and have a lot of fun planned for you this afternoon. Of course, as always, we'll have Birthdays and Sports and Nightly TV Guide, but in between those items, we'll have a sports call at five at five today. Uh, we'll have more thoughts on fall practice as Brooks and Brant were out at fall practice morning, get their takes on what they saw uh, earlier this morning. So we'll update you on everything going on with Auburn football as they continue through. This was now the sixth practice. I believe of the uh, of the fall so far. With first scrimmage upcoming on Saturday, we will reveal this week's sports call player of the week in the four o'clock hour. Also in the five o'clock hour, a preview of Texas A&M football as we continue to preview all the SEC teams here coming up to the start of the season. Also, want to make the announcement that uh, tomorrow it is going to be rare uh, these uh, in the fall, but. Uh, Uh, Sometimes we, of course, get off air because of uh, Beauregard sports, but also we get off air sometimes because of the Atlanta Falcons. And so the Falcons have their first preseason game. Of course, we're the proud home of the Atlanta Falcons here in East Central Alabama on Tiger 95.9. So with a 6 o'clock kick tomorrow, we will be having an airtime of 4 o'clock right here for the Atlanta Falcons pregame. Therefore, we will only have a one-hour show uh, tomorrow so just want to make everyone aware of that we will remind people uh, a couple times throughout today uh, that only a one hour show tomorrow so trying to get all the big stuff in today ryan brant and brooks with you here uh well on the show today and of course if you want to give us a call to join us on the auburn bank phone line 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one eight nine tiger 9 to join us here this afternoon. Start with you, Brant. Hope uh, you are well and uh, good to have you back on the show today.
2: Glad to be on and uh, I didn't get to talk about it yesterday, so I have to talk about it today. Thunder Chickens finally have a regular season legitimate win under their belt and I was so happy to be a part of that. That was uh you I mean you guys went through the details yesterday. I'm not going to rehash everything, but just the the joy, the elation that I felt in that moment. I, I went over to Brooks and I said you know, I haven't been married, and I don't have any kids, so this takes the top <laughs> spot as the best day in my life so far, um, and we'll see if that changes as we get closer, and uh, one of our teammates, Van, came over. He was an intern with us for, uh, I think, last summer. Van came over to me and said, "Brant, that's a little bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just kind of had to agree with him, but uh, you know, all jokes aside, was really fun to finally go out there and, and win a game, and you guys outlined you know we've been getting better we've been steadily improving over the past three years and finally we are better than uh than the team we were playing and that's really that's not the first time we can say that but this is the first time we followed through and uh, to finally get that win it's it was inspiring and it made for it, it's going to make for a great week honestly nothing there's very little that can bring me down right now and uh I'm certainly still riding that high from two nights ago
1: uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, you have been a part of this team. I think you picked up midway through the first year, late in the first I th- year.
2: The last two weeks, uh-huh. I believe, is when I did. We it had team.
1: enough rain outs to where it got deep enough into the year for you to, to join at the end. But uh, yeah, no, that was obviously uh, our first segment yesterday. Very proud of that. Brooks Childress also on the show today. Also, Brooks, you've been grinding with the Thunder Chickens here for uh, the entirety <laughs> of three seasons now. And so I uh, want to give you the opportunity to talk about that as well and hope you're doing well this afternoon.
3: Yeah, uh, it was it was fun. It got nerve wracking there at the end, almost blew a lead. But, yeah, it was uh, it's a long time coming um, to uh, to quote the great Taylor Swift. Uh, but it is it it finally came and we, we oh. finally got a win. Um Uh, Got got a legitimate win, because we had a win on our our record, because it was a forfeit from a couple years ago, but we never legitimately won a softball game with our own talent, or lack thereof, on the field, and so uh, it was fun, it was uh, was a surreal moment, and then we went right back out and did what Thunder Chickens do, and uh, lost a game by a lot of runs I, I i forget how many it actually was i don't i don't need to be reminded because it it's just,
1: i know the score do you want to know it no, i know they
3: okay. put up 28
1: of the, of the second
2: yeah. game yeah yeah i pitched that game by the way and I, that was uh
3: not the great
2: le- not the least fun yeah. not the least fun i've ever had because again our first game we won so nothing could really make me unhappy but they hit two balls back at me, and one of them hit me,
1: and I just didn't feel great yeah. <laughs> about
2: that entire experience. And was, the
1: guy legged it out to second, too. Was yeah, like, yeah. All right, he was definitely not on the apologetic side there. Anyway,
3: <laughs> but it was it was a fun night, and then uh, yeah, and so you know we we move on into the sports week. The Braves have played two games since uh, Sports Call was last on the air. One of them was a positive outcome; the other one was not. Uh, Auburn soccer, I was out at, for a little bit at Auburn soccer's uh, exhibition match last night against Mercer. They went to a lightning delay, and so I, I didn't stick around when they went to a lightning delay. Um, but they what I did see, uh, gearing up for hopefully a really good year for Auburn soccer. Uh, and then, yeah, me and Brant got to go out with the rest of the media contingency at practice earlier this morning. Uh, me and Brant stuck around the defensive side of the ball a lot today and uh, and saw a couple things going on there. Not a, not a lot they showed us at practice today. It, it, it was a lot of uh, some walkthrough stuff and then some stretching. Uh, but it well, we uh, we watched some defensive stuff today. So uh, can't wait to talk about all that. Can't wait to get to uh, our, all of our callers this afternoon and uh, have a great Thursday edition of Sports Call, the last full edition of Sports Call for the week.
1: Yeah, absolutely, guys. We do want to start with uh, the the ones you saw uh, at practice today. Uh, I was uh, I'll be forthcoming. I was planning on attending. And I saw that there was rain on the way. And last time that rain was on the way, it got moved. And then I was irritable because would have gone into work a, an hour or two earlier uh, than needed to. And so I saw the rain coming. And I took my chances and said, nah, it's going to gonna move it. And unfortunately, uh, I, it, I was wrong. And so you two were able to go out there still, though. I know you said that uh, in the viewing portion not a whole lot going on said you were on the defensive side of the ball uh again what if anything did you see uh out of the time you you guys were out there
2: they were running a lot of stunts they were basically practicing how are they going to move the defensive line around uh going through their pre-snap checks uh running different kinds of blitzes and they've got a lot honestly they've got a lot of different ways uh to show looks to offensive lines we saw some zone blitzes as well which is where you bring a linebacker and drop a defensive lineman back into that linebacker spot, hopefully confuse the quarterback a little bit. Um, but Basically, they're going to get creative in rushing the passer this year, and we figured that might be the case because you don't have a Derek Hall on this team, really. You don't have an Echoliotta. You've got guys at that edge position. I think this defense calls it a jack, but you don't have that one dominant guy who's just going to beat the tackle off the edge more often than not. So they're going to get creative in how they rush the passer, and I think we saw some evidence of that today.
3: Yeah, and and I think another thing that we we watched was um, the they, they had it kind of divided up into a in what you could you know kind of see as a first team unit and a second team unit, uh, and you saw a lot of shadowing. And I know we, we heard about that earlier this week at uh, the the coordinator interviews uh, between the offense and defensive side of things that they have done some shadowing here where you you get lined up, especially in these walkthroughs. And it you literally see like a, a what it looks like is could be a three deep uh depth chart, I guess, kind of deal because you've got the starter or who they who they deem as the starter right then a second guy and a third guy kind of right there behind them doing the same motion, same play, uh, shadowing. And so I know uh Roberts and Montgomery both talked about that earlier this week that they were doing a couple of those things um during practice, and and then you saw Ron Roberts definitely looking at. Uh, some the the team that was not a lot of the the it was a lot of the transfer guys and a lot of what who you would deem as a second team as he stated earlier this week in his in his presser that he's looking for about twenty five guys on defense that can contribute at any given time and he said they were about fifteen and so he's got a, he's looking for about ten more and you could definitely tell he was he had his eyes on that on that second third and fourth team squads uh, they're looking and seeing if he could, if, if they, if, uh, trying to get an idea of who that was. And so, yeah, a lot of walkthrough stuff, like what Brant said, it, it wasn't a lot of, of uh, but you could definitely tell what, whatever, uh, what was going on in front of us, um, was that it was helping, it, it was helping Roberts in some storm or fashion, get to that, uh, number that he pointed out earlier this week of 25 guys that can contribute throughout the year.
1: Yeah. And of course, um, 25 on one side of the ball, um, that is probably – I will say this. I don't know if 25 is is ultimately reasonable. And I will say, look, the the dream is to have every single player be competent and ready to play major college football at all times. Like, obviously, you're going to work towards that goal. But to have 25 guys on defense, you're looking at two deep at every position plus – three other guys is just smattered through there. I would be good with around 20. I think that if you're looking at certain positions like linebacker, usually a couple of those guys are going to be on the field in all situations. And usually a couple of your best DBs, ideally on the field at all situations. Now you will rotate. If you have a five DB look, you'll, you'll rotate obviously defensive alignment, some edges so that's where you get up to your 20 or so guys that factor in i think you add the extra five and say well some injuries occur and that sort of thing but i will say that most teams if you're getting into players 20 through 25 on defense you're going to start to run into some difficulties at times but look that's a fair goal to have and Obviously if they can work up to where they feel good about twenty five players, they're gonna be protected from certain injuries at certain groups and they're gonna feel like they can have guys for certain situations. So it's again, it's it's a it's a admirable goal and it's not a unreasonable goal, but I'm just not sure that they will they will ultimately get all the way there, at least especially not early in the year. They might by necessity if you have a lot of a lot of injuries. I also think guys, what we know about Ron Roberts Um, coming from Baylor and Brant, something that you said to me earlier today, uh, we know that they philosophically will probably blitz a lot. And that will also kind of necessitate a difference in style of front, front guys, because the blitz heavy packages will be different than your first down stuff or, or certainly your red zone stuff. Uh, So That is something, and and when we get to the sports call five at five today, we will have uh, something related to Auburn football and what to look forward to with their first scrimmage on Saturday and what, what comes of that in the fall. But that is something on the defensive side of the ball that is worth observing is, all right, I don't know if he'll ever verbalize, We're still speaking of Ron Roberts, if he'll verbalize what 15 he likes or what 18 or 20 whenever it grows and what positions they're at. But that could dictate, too, what kind of blitzes they're going to be comfortable with and what kind of things they might want to shelve a little bit. And and, Because, I mean, look, if if that 15, if if we're counting like 8 dBs right now, then you're kind of limited with what you can do up front at the moment. That only leaves your starters basically of, of guys that you're feeling comfortable with. But if it is well spread out, then that I think gives you the defensive balance that you would look for to say, all right, well, if we need to go with smaller packages, if you want to do some three, three, five stuff, fine. If you want to have uh, five rush, the passer pretty constantly fine. Uh, if you want to have a couple linebackers that are, are very much a situational on the edge type of thing, fine. Uh, so, I I would be curious, because we talk offense all the time, but you guys, to your credit, went to the defensive side of the ball. I'd be curious to know if we could try and figure out, of those 15, like how many of those guys are in one position group versus the other and and just where they need to get to to be able to do all the blitzing, that in in theory, they want to do this year.
2: Yeah, you look at the roster, you look at the way it's constructed, I think by virtue of the guys that you have at hand and the guys who were here last year, the position group you trust by mo- the most by far is the secondary. We all think Auburn's going to have a pretty good secondary this year. You, re- you return a lot of great players. I think DJ James is one of the best corners in college football, much less the SEC. I- and I-, I think that Jalen Simpson, he got transitioned to safety uh, towards the end of last year, and he was really, really good for the three or four games that they had him playing it. I think those guys are going to be the leaders back there. I think Nehemiah Pritchett's going to take a big step forward as well. I feel pretty confident in the guys you've got in the secondary. My biggest question, I, it's either linebacker or D-line, and I think I'm going to go with linebacker because I feel like with D-line, you've got good pieces, maybe no great pieces. There's not a Derek Brown on this team. There's not even a Marlon Davidson on this team, not to discount Marlon Davidson at all. But those guys, there's not a superstar here, but you've got guys that are solid. With the linebacking core, you've got Cam Riley and Wesley Steiner were here last year. And they were sometimes good, sometimes a lot more times, kind of mediocre to not great. Um, those guys are back, and then you brought in a lot of transfers. You brought a Eugene Asante is came in uh, last year, and he's take, kind of taken a big step forward. You've heard a lot about him, and you brought in Austin Keys, and Austin Keys seems to be a guy that a lot of people really like at that linebacker spot. But these are guys that have not proven themselves yet. You've got two guys that have kind of proven to be inconsistent. In a in a generous way, and you've got two guys that are unproven uh, at Auburn at least. So, looking at those, I I think linebacker, you need more than you have right now. And I'm these guys may end up working out, but I just if I'm looking at it, I'm thinking linebacker is where you're least confident.
1: And uh, we will get into a little bit later in the show today after the viewing window of practice. There were uh, some interviews with some of the uh, coaching staff uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, again, not Ron Roberts. We we talked to him earlier this week, but. Uh Uh, other assistant coaches like josh aldridge who had some interesting things to say the linebackers coach for auburn about some of the individual players starting to stand out in fall camp and then also had a quick uh, little blurb about uh, what it takes to recruit uh in the sec so we'll get to that a little bit later in the show but for now we need to get to our first time out when we come back we'll get to birthdays and sports also go to the auburn bank phone line you're listening to the thursday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9
0: time out sports call will be back after this quick break
4: this is philip lolly former auburn tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 national championship team and you are listening to sports call
1: To the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger ninety five point nine. Ryan LeMoy, Brooks Shoulders, and Brandt Dantry. still celebrating a Thunder Chickens win. We might be celebrating it for approximately a year because it's the la- it was the last week of the regular season. Oh, I'm celebrating it for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, um, you We're know. We
3: celebrating Thunder Chickens. Yes,
1: yes, Brooks. You don't don't play coy over there. You know, <laughs> you know it. Uh, and also just. The, the one word I will have on it is because of that heartbreak loss earlier this year where we blew that lead, now that feels way more palatable. Now that's like, yeah, yeah that would have been nice to win, but you don't lose sleep over it, you know, and and it, that, that win just, just is able to redeem that. So – Feel better about it. We do have a playoff game. We'll try to make magic happen. If we lose by 20, we'll lose by 20. <laughs> but uh, uh, we'll see how it goes. But certainly still celebrating that. Also now on today's show, we want to celebrate today's birthdays.
0: It's time for today's
1: birthdays in sports. All right, birthdays in sports today on August the 10th. Gino Toretta turning 53, former quarterback. Toretta was born in California and played college football at Miami. The U. You- Toretta was back up in 1989, and in 1990, when the Hurricanes won national title, he took over as the starter in 1991 and led the Canes to a national title as a junior. In 1992, he was an All-American, winner of the Walter Camp, Davey O'Brien, Johnny Unitas, and Heisman Trophies. He was drafted in the seventh round by the Vikings in 1993 and played five seasons as a backup in the NFL. Great college player, Gino Toretta, turns 53 today. John Morant turns 24, guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. Morant was born in South Carolina and played college basketball at Murray State. Let's go racers! As a sophomore at Murray State, Morant became one of the best players in college basketball, including, including leading the NCAA in assists, being named an All-American, and winning the Bob Cousy Award. His number 12 is retired by the Murray State Racers. He was drafted by the Grizzlies second overall in 2019, has been a star in Memphis since. Two-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA selection. In fact, John Morant... Is still recent enough, yet star enough, that I remember sitting in this very studio a few years ago when he was at Murray State rooting for him to pull off an upset in the NCAA tournament. So uh, John Morant, again, That's even though I'm so not old at all, that is still (laughs) one of those like, hey, you know what, I'm already remembering that I was still at this current job and uh, was, was still watching him in college. But John Morant turns 24 today. Rocky uh, Colavito turns 90 today, former MLB outfielder. Colavito was born in New York and dropped out of high school at 16 to play semi-pro baseball, hoping it would lead to an MLB career. Uh, Spoiler alert, it did. He was signed by the Indians at age 17 one year later. Didn't have to wait long in 1951. Made his Major League debut in 1955. Played in the majors for 14 years for six teams. Nine-time All-Star, one-time AL home run leader, one-time AL RBI leader. He is in the Cleveland Guardians Hall of Fame. Rocky Calavito turns 90 today.
3: Just goes to show you, kids, school doesn't always matter.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Drop if out of we, school and pursue a career in professional sports. Yep. It'll work. It'll work. Trust me.
3: That's that's what we're that's the that's the message we're pushing on sports call today. <laughs>
1: Not financial advice. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, it worked for Rocky Colavito. He turns 90 today. He'll be a Hall of Famer, kids. David Cook, turns 28 NFL running back, currently uh, unsigned. Cook was born in Florida. Was a five-star recruit out of high school, played college football at Florida State. Uh... Three-time All-ACC selection, two-time All-American, and one-time ACC champion. Brooks, I liked that a lot. He, let FSU, he left FSU after his junior year, was selected in the second round by the Minnesota of Vikings in 2017, took over as the starter in 2019 for four straight years from 2019 to 2022. Cook rushed for over 1,000 yards and was named to the Pro Bowl. Hopefully he finds a team soon because he is still very good. He is not breaking down yet. Over 1,000 yards, last four years. Anyway, someone sign him. Dalvin Cook turns 28 today. Those are all the birthdays in sports. Gino Torello, 53. John Morant, 24. Rocky Calavito, 90. And Dalvin Cook, 28. Did any of these people finish college? did Gino um, Toretto,
3: was Gino Toretto a senior when he left? I think so.
1: Yes. I was Toretto say, was a senior. I yeah. think
3: the theme today for sports calls birthdays is you don't have to do you don't know school. Go, yeah, school, go school
1: sucks go, don't. No yeah. no uh, Toretto was a junior when he took over in ninety one and then ninety two he was an all American, won all the awards. All right. Yep. Well
3: But you see, the thing is though he didn't, how he much, didn't he successful have successful How pro. much NFL yeah. success did he have? <laughs> yeah. Because he see went kids, to school. R- see kids <laughs> this school is doesn't mer- matter.
1: Merely a commentary for sports school doesn't matter for life i'm not endorsing it i'm not endorsing i am kids leave
3: now while you know everything get out (laughs) leave now
2: while you know everything that's right
1: (laughs) oh man oh man all right let's go to the auburn bank phone line first stop today 334-887-341 locally or toll-free One triple eight nine tiger nine. First up on the show today, Wardam Steve. For time, Wardam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon?
4: Well, uh, according to what I heard, you guys deserve a big Shazam.
1: Uh, With the Thunder Chickens dub. Yes. Yeah. No. We were. uh, We did it.
4: You finally did it, and hell must have frozen over.
1: Yeah. (laughs) uh, Well, not based off today's high temperature, but yeah, I think. I think we were very, very much in a great mood. We did not care that we got clocked in the second game. Uh, we, uh, we, we were very joyous.
4: Well, you deserve to have a little bit of letdown. I mean, you know, uh, after that brutal uh, almost come-from-behind uh, loss, uh, but you stuck it out. You, you didn't let them do it to you. So, uh, you, you, know, you shared perseverance and stubbornness, so congratulations.
1: Thank you, sir. We just had to make it, uh, make it as dramatic as possible.
4: Okay, with that, was that the last game of the season?
1: Last regular season games, everyone makes the playoffs, so we do have a playoff game next Tuesday.
4: Okay. Uh, do you know who your opponent's going to be?
1: We do not, but I think bracket wise, it'll be one of the top two or three teams in the league, so uh, it will be very difficult.
4: Well, the team that you beat Tuesday night, uh, how you know difficult challenge are they? Where are they ranked? You know, in your league.
1: They were down there with us. They had only had one win on the season, so we beat them. We had the tiebreaker, so we did not finish last in the season. They did.
4: All right then. Uh, the losers bracket, of uh, the worst, uh, you finally outdid them, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't have the number one pick this year.
4: <laughs> okay, well, you know, easy come, easy go. All right, so let's get to it, guys. Uh, about this offense, according to Mister Tate Johnson and other players, uh, previous years, according to him, now he says they were more of a uh, slow post style offense, huddle up and get a play. But he said, now, quotes according to him, it's run a play, get the ball run the play, get the ball, run the play. Is that what you were hearing, guys?
1: I definitely think, uh, you know, we're going to see a, a, a vast increase in tempo. That's not something that Brian Harson did. Will it be faster than Malzahn? You know, probably not from the start of Malzahn's tenure. He tended to uh, tur- slow it down a little more often the longer into his tenure it went. Uh, but I think that it will be a fast-paced offense, and I I think both Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze have a background in that.
4: Right. Well, um, I'm going to piggyback what you just said. According to the stats from 247 Sports' Chris Hummer, the architects of Auburn's new look offense uh, both ran faster systems last year than than we did under Harsh, which is an understatement. But here's what you can look for, guys. At Liberty, Freeze's offense ranked number 47. In the country and plays per minute and philip montgomery at tulsa for the past eight seasons last year he was number 40th in the same category and do you know what auburn finished last year in that same category
1: probably like 80s 90s somewhere there
4: very good very good Ryan. 83
1: yeah it was it was definitely on the slower side now 40 is not like lightning fast like i said i think that if we're remembering the first years of Malzahn, for example, just as comparison, those would have been a little faster than 40th. But, uh, but yeah, no, it will still be on the on the fast side if, if those if those stats hold.
4: And I've had a lot read a lot of people's comments. Or, in fact, Nathan Kings about when he first came to Auburn. Uh, you know, Malzahn was just run run play run play, but then he started doing I don't know things that you know were against. Even his book that he, he wrote on the Hun, you know, he began uh, being too predictable, right, guys? He would not just run and then make the next play and run. He would then pause and put in only certain people, which then, of course, as you know, because uh, I, I was at that infamous Tennessee game, in which the Tennessee coaches hollering who, where the run was going to go, where the play was going to go to, right? Because he put in certain people certain plays. You, that's, that's what, to me, just doesn't uh, make any sense, what happened to him? Why do he do that crap?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, obviously a lot of people um, can notice the changes from first couple of years. I think one of the most generic changes was the style of quarterback. I think that everyone's also very aware of the, the offensive line taking steps down in, in latter years. Obviously that's been well documented. I think as a coach, I think he was at least semi-aware of those things. And so that they try to do different things with different personnel, try to um, try to get players involved in different ways. And when you do that, sometimes if you don't execute it well, I mean, it's going to be pretty obvious. If someone like Anthony Schwartz is going in motion, like there's a good chance he's getting that ball in a jet sweep, or there's so, some sort of action involving someone really fast in motion. And uh, some of it, look, sometimes the other play, the other team's gonna you know what you're running to a degree, but also like i mean cuz that's part of scouting but also if you're a really good football team you're going to execute it anyway and you're going to execute yours better than they're going to execute theirs so i think that the line problems had a lot to do with that but sure i mean there's certain people that you come into a game that you knew a certain type of play that's the danger in the wildcat too like like that's when you know what with a with a very mobile quarterback coming and play Wildcat, like there's going to be either a run or some sort of play action run. Like it's not going to be a, or excuse me, play action pass with, with some sort of fake, big fake out. Um, and so you're not going to see um, that kind of stuff uh, work when you are struggling to do the the more generic stuff. And I think that some of that stuff was a struggle.
4: Yeah, you just started seeing more and more uh, just substitutions or lack of it and it was just too ridiculous. All right. Moving on guys, you talked about you're gonna know, be talking about and M uh, later on, right?
1: Yes, that's our preview today.
4: Okay, well here's an article from the Press Press uh about and M's twelfth man fund. Have you read that one? The discontinued the NIL operation?
1: Uh, I did see that headline. I did see that headline.
4: Well apparently the foundation uh, was coming from a June memo from the IRS nonetheless, that said what? Nonprofit collectives that were created primarily to pay players are likely not to be exempt from taxes, meaning donations would likely not be tax-deductible. So what does that mean for collectives like we have, like uh, on to victory?
1: I mean, I think that... uh, I mean, I I don't know the exact process of of how they uh, pretend the funds and, and who donates them and that sort of thing. That's more... I, I mean, I think that's more on whoever is donating, to think that they're going to get a a, a tax write off or something for for putting into that where they may not necessarily get that. I mean, again, I'm not very familiar with how exactly because and and here's why because there I know what should be going on, but I don't think that anyone believes that's how it's actually going on. And there's going to be things that uh, are still not technically permissible that all these schools are doing. So, I, I mean, donating into these these funds. I mean, if if they're genuine and if you know that's one thing. But I, I think that since it's not going to be a not for profit, then it makes sense why you wouldn't have a, a a tax deductible. I mean, again, I I don't I really don't don't know the full scope of how that affects things. I really don't.
4: Yeah, okay, neither do I. I just thought this was an interesting uh, take here. So the IRS is now becoming more scrutinizing and involving in uh, some of these collectives. All right, moving on, guys, about the ongoing drama saga as the day, uh, as the world turns, you know, in a soap opera lingo, the ACC and uh, Cal Stanford are apparently uh, not a done deal, uh, and I'm sure you guys are already aware of this, but this comes from the uh, Pete Thammel. And Andrea Abelson, and apparently, it says sources confirm that one school has been pushing for Cal Stanford, which is who? Notre Dame. However, it says multiple athletic directors have questioned why E1 the league would listen to Notre Dame because the Irish remain so steadfast in remaining independent. Uh, and apparently, uh, they said it's a numbers game, and they don't, the, they being the presidents, of the uh, different institutions, the ACC, don't see a value financially uh, by having Cal and Stanford, maybe Washington State, uh, join them. So you guys are aware of all this?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I We talk about this on the show every single day um, in some form or fashion, and we planned on talking about the, the ACC's vote, or lack thereof, last night at some point today too. I mean, this is the – in my in my estimation, this is the most important non on the field story going on in in a lot of years in college football. This impacts how the sport operates. Is how it operates. How all the sports operate because of these these vast changes. It's not just a team or two. It's not just simply. It did not become just Oklahoma and Texas coming over to the SEC and USC, UCLA going to the Big Ten. It it turned into. The dismantling of a power conference, which requires the landscape to reshape how they think about automatic bursts in the playoff and and bowl bids and bowl tie-ins and schedules, non-conference schedules in the, in the future, how many conference games we play. It, it affects everything that we do in the sport, and so that's why we talk about it a lot. And in the ACC side of things, they're trying to prevent a similar fate than the Pac-12, because their biggest institutions, Clemson and mainly Florida State, are bickering, and they're not very happy with the money they're they're being brought in to the league. And so they're trying to think of ways where they can strengthen their product, strengthen their league, hopefully gain more money in a TV deal and a renegotiated deal, but to keep Florida State and Clemson, the top of the league, happy, because that's what starts to happen is the top of the league leaks out and then the middle gets uneasy, and then the middle does something brash, and then everyone's out. That's exactly what happened in the Pac-12. So this is about the long-term viability of the ACC and, and trying to figure out what's best for them to, to keep Florida State, to keep Clemson, and not end up having an Atlantic Coast version of what happened in the Pacific Coast.
4: Well, um, tell me about this, because I didn't quite understand this part, uh, Ryan, right this article. It said the ACC, this is dated the 9th, Okay, uh, has a deadline Tuesday, which must mean next Tuesday for schools to notify the ACC if they want to leave and change conferences for the 2024 season. So it must be next week, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's written, if it was written yesterday, then I would, I would think that would mean that.
4: Uh, so, I mean, for what I remember, uh, so you guys talked about it too, for an ACC team to leave the conference. They have to
1: pay a hefty fine, do they not? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now they have, they still have a grant of rights. They still have a TV deal, and so, and they have a TV deal for a long time. It's still 2036. It's part of the problem here is there's no, there's no new negotiation in sight unless there's a renegotiation. And to renegotiate, you're gonna have to add more value to the league. That's the whole reason the ACC is considering teams that could not be further from their base, (laughs) could not be further in the United States of America to some of their institutions. So uh, they are looking into that. Now, uh, look, some of these schools are desperate. They will do desperate things. There was a report yesterday, I know that you're asking about getting out of the ACC, but SMU was willing to go for free they oh, want I to be that. they want to be in a power league so bad they will go for free for the first 5 to 7 years which is <laughs> insane to me but they just want that security they want that prestige and so um at the end of the day like these are it's it's such a it's such a drastic uh issue for these schools that it it needs to be happening right now because of this dismantling of a power conference it feels like this round this event could be the event. This could be all of it. This could be the how it's shaped for decades to come if if it continues on this path. So um, I, I think as far as the departures, I would personally be surprised if Florida State or anyone departed this cycle of the ACC. I don't think that's ready yet. I don't think the SEC is trying to poach ACC teams. And I think the Big Ten has been surprisingly calm right now. I, I think that if – If it were to be one conference, it'd be the Big Ten. But, again, I'm taking, and some people out there don't believe him. That's fine. That's a matter of opinion. But I believe Greg Sankey when he says he's not coming to them and he's not really looking to add anything. He's not looking to dismantle further conferences. I believe that. that He's been very steady in that messaging. So uh, Florida State does not have the leverage to leave right now, and so I think ultimately they're going to have to balk on that uh, but but I guess we'll know in six days for sure.
4: And SMU, do they have that kind of wealth, I guess, to just join a team without wanting any revenue for how many years? Seven years?
1: Yeah, five to seven years. Um,
4: wow. Yeah, they I mean, so
1: here's I, – I don't know. I need to study the AAC AAC's grain of rights to see how much they currently get. It's not going to be a number that's large. It's not going to be – 20 to 30 million a team like these other conferences are getting currently it's probably single digits i think the mountain west for example gets like four million a team three or four million a team so it's probably like high single digits maybe low double digits uh, so when you look at it that way you're forfeiting like 60 50 to 60 million of of money you would have received uh, now obviously you go into a new conference, you expect to receive more. So you're saying, Oh, aren't, aren't you forfeiting whatever you were to get over there? No, because it's, it, this is the difference in you making it or not making it. So you're comparing it to what your old deal was, not what the new deal will be. And so you're really coming up with 50 million, 60, 70 million, something like that. Plus the new travel expenses. So I don't know, maybe we balloon, say we even balloon to a hundred million over five or six years I, I believe because of SMU's history in the '70s, particularly the '80s before they got the death penalty, I believe because it's in a huge city in Dallas. I'm not exactly sure the size of the school because that impacts it too. I, I have a feeling, just being a, a sizable school in the state of Texas, that they have a pretty good donor donor base. It might not be as robust as UT or of uh, A and M or something, but I but I believe they have a donor base. So. Uh, They wouldn't be putting this on the table if they didn't feel like they could raise some money to stay afloat.
4: Well, they must be pretty wealthy and pretty desperate. All right, moving on, guys, real quickly to basketball. Mr. Badunga. Yes, sir. He's going to be making his announcement this Saturday. Yes. It's between us, Duke, Kansas, Michigan. Guys, give me some odds here.
1: I still think that Duke is heavy favorite. I know that we talked about on the show a little bit yesterday with Tom uh, we were seeing a uh, a devil's den, which is a Duke fan site, start freaking out about accusing Auburn of cheating, which again, rich coming from Duke Cheesy. basketball fans. Uh, In way. So th- I think that they're getting nervous about Auburn. I still personally think that's just one person just being dumb, and I think that Duke is still probably an eighty to ninety percent chance of getting Bodunga. Uh, and then Auburn and the other teams would be like. Th- Five percent, whatever, whatever is left there. So I, I still, I still think it's heavy Duke favorite. We'll see if that dynamic switches in the next forty eight hours. But, but put it this way: coming into this week, I wouldn't have even told you Auburn was in it. I wouldn't have even really mentioned Bedunga, uh, other than say, hey, remember this guy that Auburn was targeting? He went to Duke. Uh, but uh, it, the, the Auburn's got a puncher's chance, but it is a small chance.
4: Wow, eighty nine percent. Now, is this coming from any? you know, sources that you're,
1: you know, privy to uh, make it that high? So, well, t- I'll, I'll name one. My good friend, you might have heard of him, J.J. Jackson. Uh, he is uh, well okay. plugged in. Uh, he is well plugged in with Duke because he runs a Duke podcast, um, and he still feels good about Badunga. And then also uh, just some of the recruiting prediction models on, on the likes of On3. They have it in the 80%, 85% range. So, again, I and i just tell you this, Steve, too. Anytime, because you know my relationship with North Carolina – Anytime Duke has wanted somebody battling basketball, they get them. I mean, it is it is very rare that they have to that uh, they lose out on top five or top ten player like Badunga. So um, that's also kind of years of, of just seeing them get what they want there. So I would again be be genuinely surprised if he did not get to Duke.
4: So they're like the Alabama or Georgia in football and basketball.
1: Maybe even to a higher degree because their success rate is is higher for what they need. And just in terms of top 10 players and getting the number one or number two class for not just the last eight or nine or 10 years, but for since we've been doing the recruiting thing. I mean, Coach K, even into John Shire, I mean, every, every single year they get the one and done guys, and we, we know how that goes.
4: Okay, all right. Well, before I go, guys, I was at the movie yesterday, and uh, for you guys, for any of the listeners who like uh, thrillers and horror movies, this is one of the best ones of the year so far. Talk to me.
1: Yeah, we've heard about. I've heard a little bit about it. I know it did pretty well at the box office considering its budget in week one. Um, and I've seen a couple previews for it. You know, I like horror movies, but uh, I'll have to check it out then.
4: Yeah, uh, Ron Tomatoes and the audience both gave it eighty-seven uh, percent already. So they, well, let me go see it then. And it, it's definitely it has a, a, a an ending and twist of the ending that you would not probably. Uh, consider excellent Excellent. I love stuff like that I know tomorrow is uh, only an hour show I may or may not be able to uh, harass you guys so if I don't have a safe and uh, relaxing weekend and we'll uh, do our best to uh, relax ourselves and talk to you guys on Monday because Saturday we'll know about maybe where that quarterback race might be leading towards right
1: hopefully so Uh, we're definitely hoping for that
4: Hi guys War Eagle
1: War Eagle appreciate the phone call Steve that is Retire AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line, we're down to about three or four minutes left in the first hour. If you want to give us a call today on the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of things there from Steve. We will get into a more detailed discussion on conference realignment. There's probably a few people out there that are very tired of us talking about it. We do apologize from that standpoint. But, again, I, I want to stress that this is an issue – for every league in college athletics because it pretends to – you say, sure, The SEC, I believe you. I don't think the SEC is going to be adding any more teams anytime soon, or at least not on their own accord, not uh, not trying to actively poach other conferences. So why, why does this affect us? Please do tell. Well, because it affects the strength of other leagues. It affects how many conference games each league might be ushered into playing, which affects – If we're going to have big non-conference games anymore, if we're going to be having 10 conference game schedules, what are you going to do about the other two? You want a break? Wouldn't blame you. You got a bigger playoff and that sort of thing. You only got three big conferences that matter if the ACC were to fall apart. Then all of a sudden, how does that change how many automatic qualifiers? Does it change the playoff field size? Do you feel it needs to get smaller? We talked a little bit about that yesterday. Does it need to get bigger? I don't think we need to get bigger before we even see what 12 looks like. But, of course, the the need for more, the feeling of more, will feel like it will always continue because that's what we are as a society is more, more, more. I'm mean, not trying to go too deep into that commentary, but stands to reason one day someone will pitch for more. But should we be going down back to something like eight? It just affects the dynamic of, of everything we're doing in college athletics, especially if we lose another conference, we lose the ACC. I'll just say – most people, this will fall on deaf ears. But for me, I don't want the ACC to go at all. I have an immense amount of respect for that conference. I have cheered for a team since I was born because that's where my parents went. Happy late 40th anniversary, by the way, to my parents who met it in North Carolina uh, at Chapel Hill. Like That school means something to me. That conference means something something to me. And in the sport of basketball, which is a sport I love dearly, That was the conference for all the time until recently. Um, And so anyway, if we go down to three, I just find that to be more sad. And so all of this affects the way that these college sports will run. If we get down to three huge conferences, do we have something drastic where we need a commissioner of college football one day? Do we get to something where schools want to – Form into the smaller conferences and create a couple super small conferences. What do we even call those? Like the AAC and Sun Belt combined, like the the oh, Super Sun
2: That would be so fun. Uh,
1: the Sun of the Americans. I mean, like like what what would that be? Uh, at that point, so again, that's why we're spending so much time on it because this is almost the mass extin- extinction event. Because we could be losing the Pac-12 in its entirety. If Florida State continues to act like the spoiled child that has been acting like and tries to leave the ACC, then that could set off a chain of reaction uh, for the ACC and and potentially maybe not folding as a conference to the way the Pac-12 is in danger of, but not being a power conference. If you've got Florida State and Clemson out of that conference, you can keep all the rest of the teams. Is that truly a power conference at that point? What if Miami left or something? What if they wanted to go wherever Florida State went or just whatever? Again, the, the various theories there. So that's why we spent a lot of time on it. We'll have another segment on it in the 4 o'clock hour. Our angle today will be about what happened last night with the ACC and they talking about adding Cal and Stanford and what that status is like and why that's not happened yet and the potential side effects for – the kind of bickering going on amongst that projected vote in, in terms of welcoming in Cal Stanford. So that's the angle we're going to go with today from the ACC point of view with conference realignment. But we are out of time in hour number one. Still stay tuned in hour number two. We'll have more thoughts on Auburn fall camp as well as we talk about some of the things that the coaches on the defensive side of the ball had to say this afternoon. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, or also in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll have the Sports Call Player of the Week. Five o'clock hour have a sports call five at five five things that we're looking forward to with the Saturday scrimmage the first scrimmage of fall camp for Auburn football and a little bit later in the five o'clock hour a preview of Texas A and M football a lot still on the docket for this Thursday edition of sports call stay tuned more sports call after this.
0: And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the Plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite
1: sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call, starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app, or if you listen after the fact on the Sports Call podcast, presented by Coca-Cola, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Today. Brooks Schilders and Brant Daughtry are with me. Fun first hour of the program. A lot still coming up, including Player of the Week, including a preview of Texas A&M football, a 5 at 5. Looking forward to the first Auburn football scrimmage of the fall on Saturday. So a lot to stay tuned for here in these next couple of hours. Also want to remind you that tomorrow we will not be having a full show. This time tomorrow, you will be hearing the beginning of pregame coverage for the Atlanta Falcons radio network and the coverage of the first preseason game for the Falcons as uh, we will only be on the air one hour tomorrow, getting off air at 4 o'clock for Falcons pregame. Exciting to have football back, the National Football League. More preseason games actually start up tonight as the first full week of preseason action gets going. And uh, we'll definitely have some NFL previews coming up in the coming weeks prior to the kickoff of the NFL season as well. So a lot of football in a very short amount of time. Let's talk a little bit more about Auburn's fall as we are now at the sixth practice. Uh, The projection is, is that the quarterback race could be cut soon to two. At least that was the idea, that was the hope from the coaching staff coming into the fall. Of course, I guess, if you have a no, no clear third place, you have no clear straggler, it gets a little bit more difficult to cut that race to three. But today was more of a defensive side of the ball day. Brooks and Brant were out at practice uh, for the half hour that was allotted earlier this morning. Uh, and then also uh, the guys w- returned, but uh, we also had – um, several different defensive coaches talked to the media earlier today, uh, including Auburn linebacker coach Josh Aldridge, who he had uh, some interesting things uh, to point out uh, and interesting things to talk about about the development of some of these linebackers uh, that uh, Brant was referring to a little bit earlier uh, in the show. Uh, talking about guys at Jack, like Stephen Sings and Jalen McLeod, of course, there's going to be a lot of expectations on those guys, even particular someone like McLeod, who we've talked a lot about. Also mentioned uh, Eugene Asante making a real move to be a starter this year. Uh, he is a transfer from North Carolina, uh, was on the team last year, but uh, did not really factor in. Uh, and then, of course, also wanted to, to mention that uh, Aldridge was asked about what it takes to get big recruiting wins. Of course, that's been momentum for the Tigers off the field in recent weeks. Uh, one word can uh, pretty much sum it up, according to Aldridge, effort. Of course, that has been all the talk for the last several months. But of all the things Aldridge had to say, what interested you? And again, assessing a linebacker room that does have a lot of questions.
2: Yeah, the the effort comment is pretty funny. I mean, how many times have we talked about the previous regime just not doing it? And I've made this joke on here before. We don't know if Brian Harson's a good recruiter or not. He may be a great recruiter, but he just didn't do it um he took there's a the common phrase is Auburn recruits itself and that's true to a point but that does not mean you don't have to worry about recruiting and kids are just going to show up um you got to go out there and you got to do it
1: the the phrase is not if you exist they will come
2: (laughs) right right you've got it you've got to build it right uh in that's that's clearly something that Hugh Freeze and and everybody on this staff really understands is you just gotta go, and you gotta go. To, you gotta go to the kids. You gotta go where the kids are. You have to actively recruit the kids. And we've talked about it. If you recruit, let's say, fifty kids, you're gonna get twenty or so, maybe twenty five on a good year. But that's the game. You you've got to be satisfied with of these fifty kids that you deem you want to go after. If twenty of them sign, that's successful. Um, because not everybody can get every kid they want. So you've got to you've gotta have You've got to have. The kids you want and the kids that are backed up. And you've got to go and you got to actively recruit those kids. And if you do, Auburn's going to get more than it – well, not more than it loses. No one gets more than they lose. But they're going to get enough to compete at a high level. And at Auburn, you're not ever going to have the same machines that Alabama has been for the past decade and a half. And then it seems like Georgia is turning into – I don't think you're going to get that level of success – but you can compete with those guys. You can go and get guys that those guys want. You're not going to get every single one of them, but you can recruit against them and you can win some of those battles. And then you just need a really good quarterback and things are going to turn out fine. That's, a, that's Auburn's recipe for success. And that, that's what Auburn has gotten success with when it's been successful lately. Uh, and just so it all comes back to that one quote kind of summing up, at least in the recruiting world, the difference between the last regime and this one
3: you don't have to win all of them you just have to win some of them yeah that, that's the that's the key here i was listening to our uh our sister station this morning on the way in uh to the press box which we have on every single morning uh, great program mike grace does a great job uh we're, we're really happy to be affiliated with them and jason caldwell was actually on there and he was talking about it um and uh, uh, that quote was thrown out there you don't have to win all of them you just win some of them uh, and that's what um that's what Hugh Freeze and the staff is doing they're going out and they're winning some battles and uh in in particular Jason Caldwell pointed out this morning they're winning battles in Georgia Florida and Alabama which if you pointed this out if you look at the past successes of Auburn football programs um, there's a lot of they're they're built on those three states. Success recruiting, key recruiting in those three states is Alabama, Georgia, and, and Florida. You you see you know the these bigger programs. Uh, you see the Alabamas, the Georgias. They reach out. They go up to Maryland. They go out to California. They they reach into Texas. Yeah, that's great. You can go pull a few guys there, but your your base is built in these three states, and you know it. it felt like it, it. you know when we've heard from uh, from high school coaches in the in the you know in the areas uh in those areas that 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 work was just not being put in by the previous regime and so like you guys said it's it, it, auburn sells itself and the 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 new facility absolutely helps it sell itself but it can't just sell itself you can't just bring a recruit up sit them on campus and say here here's your here auburn You have to put in the work. You have to put in the work on the ground, on the grassroots level. You have to put in the work, uh, going to all these different high schools, and you know I I think you've seen that you've seen that uh, that really even stepped up here, and I I think that um, uh, it it, it was that quote is uh, shows you that they're stepping up, stepping things up.
1: One other position, want to talk a little bit about. Uh, We will flip to offense here for a moment. And, again, we'll have some things for you at the top of the 5 o'clock hour in the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group when we talk about – have that list for you about uh, the scrimmage coming up on Saturday. I'm really excited. Maybe it's because I really like offense, but I'm really excited to see what happens with the wide receiver room. I think there's a lot of talk about how good the running back room will be, and we are confident in that. And, obviously, there's always going to be talk when there's a quarterback race. But wide receivers a position that Auburn's had a propensity to be up and down it with. They've had some good receivers. Been a long time since a 1,000-yard wide receiver, though, uh, even for some of the more talented guys that did come into this place. And it's such a 180 in the style of a receiver for the most part that Auburn's going to have this year and probably moving forward, I think, especially – get a commitment from someone like Perry Thompson. I'm, I'm excited to see the bigger bodied receiver on the planes because there have been a lot of guys that have been of smaller statue, stature or of uh, more of a speed equation. Route running has not necessarily been a high priority for some of these receivers uh, one-on-one jump balls, not really something. like I feel like for what Malzahn tried to do, which there was not a lot necessarily with the, the scheme of, of passing concepts, I feel like he kind of thought that a lot of the most successful passes would just be wide open. I think he thought that he would get play-action stuff that would just allow anyone to, to make a big play. And I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't recruit receivers at all. We, we have differing uh, varying opinions on his level of, of recruiting at wide receiver. I think, again, if you look at the numbers, it was a little better than maybe remembered. It's just that some of those guys ended up transferring or just were not used a lot, like a Nate Craig Myers, that sort of thing. Like A lot of high top 100, 150 type of receivers uh, that, that ended up here that just did not produce in that manner. And, and so – I think, and again, I think that's largely because of the scheme and the, the idea They're not necessarily always the player. But I, I think that when you're looking at these wide receivers, and I, to be fair, I don't know, if, I don't think there's a 1,000-yard receiver here yet. I think Thompson's going to be the one that we're all going to be pointing to 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 be able to break that. What? How many years are we onto that? Do you remember off the top of your I, head?
2: I mean, I think it was, I know it's not in the 21st century. I know that. I know that. I think that Auburn is.
1: I thought it was what? early two thousands. I thought was it. Maybe it was late 90s. I thought because we talked about this last
2: summer when our friend Jared Dillard came in and, and did a couple episodes with us. He brought out the the stat that Auburn hasn't had a thousand yard wide right receiver, and I thought it was since the turn of the century.
1: It might have been. It, it's been a long time. It's. I I was, I was thinking for whatever reason it was mid two thousands. Um, we'll do the research on that and reaffirm that. Um, but. Whatever the case, it's been a long time, and I'm not sure that there's one on this team. However, I'm still more intrigued by this group of receivers than I have been in recent years. We were out at practice uh, not only this week but but the start of practice last week. Nick Marner is six six, and boy does he stand out. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's a legit six foot six. There's I, no embellishment yeah, going I, on there. I, I made the joke that I don't care. I don't need to see anything else. Put him in the red zone package right now. <laughs> don't care. Go ahead because uh, that dude's big. Some of these other guys, we saw that viral video at Jackson State for Shane Hooks making a crazy catch. Dude's 6'4". That's not a small guy. That is. That would still rate out as like the tallest receiver of most on teams at 6'4". Uh, there are other guys. I really liked one returning guy that I liked personally – that I still think has potential. He's a sophomore this year, Camden Brown. I thought Brown in his limited playing time last year won some matchups and made some plays on the ball. Uh I do not think he will start this year. I think I think these newer guys, Jair Shorter, Shane Hooks will start over him. But I think that Camden Brown will still have an opportunity. I'm still optimistic about him. We've heard a lot of talk this uh this fall so far about Jay Fair being out there. A lot and trying yeah. to move up the depth chart, and I would not have had Jay Fair near the top three or four receivers. And maybe ultimately that ends up just being just talk, and that doesn't amount to anything. He might still well very well be a six, seven, eighth place in the receiver room right now. But I've heard a, I've heard more than I thought I would on, on Jay Fair. Uh, he is obviously a different type of wide receiver than these other guys I've been naming. He's at five ten. He's kind of where Javarius Johnson is. But I don't know. And then, of course, I haven't even mentioned Cale Burton, the the Ohio State transfer. I, I think that there is some real potential here. Again, you're going to need a couple of these guys to actually break away and not be 15 catches, 250 yards. You need someone to be a seven 800-yard guy at some point. You need someone to be a five 600-yard guy. But I'm optimistic that they are here. I'm optimistic that this different type of receiver – Will bode well for Auburn coming up.
2: Yeah, the the Jay Fair thing is interesting to me. And look, there's always somebody who stands out in a fall practice that you hear a bunch about who doesn't really do much when the season comes around. Uh, and that's not unique to Auburn. I feel like every school has that. And yes, the last time Auburn had a 1,000 yard receiver was 1999. Okay, Ronnie Daniels had 1,068, so which it, is, by the way, the uh, the school's all time record for, rece- for receiving yards in a year.
1: So even guys that had. Um, pretty, I won't say impactful NFL careers, but had them at least, like a Devin Aroma should do, Ben Omamanu. I know that uh, I guess someone like Courtney Taylor didn't really stick for long, but uh, even Sammy Coates, uh, Duke Williams, who got on the Bills here recently, was obviously not at Auburn too long. But there's still been these talented guys. I shouldn't say it like a thousand-yard receiver is just like a rite of passage. Because like right. again, Those, you do have not, to throw. A they don't happen amount. every year, right? But still, to be what twenty four year, 23, 24 years, yeah. like that's well, that's still not normal. <laughs> that's certainly not normal. No. So I, I mean, I, again, I, I uh, did you have any other thought there on the receivers? No.
2: Well, I I hear people complain about things like that, and then I'm going, well, Auburn's won the SEC a couple of times in that they've won a national championship. In, oh yeah, no. They've played for another, and they should have had an opportunity for a third in two thousand four. So it's it's not entirely damning, but I do understand no, why yeah. people say, "Hey, we want a thousand yards."
1: Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying like uh, you know the the real secret of why Auburn's been so up and down is they've had no receipt, no big receivers. I'm not yeah. trying to make some big point there. I'm just saying like statistically speaking, for a big program like Auburn, you do expect that milestone to get eclipsed yeah. from time to time, especially when again not to compare every single thing to Alabama, but it's like Alabama's had one almost every single year. And, and sometimes they've been oh, a two. And I get that in the college game you play less games. So, again, that 1,000-yard component's not going to happen for every team. And Auburn's been trying to be a run-heavy team for a long period of time. But, again, you that kind of proves just from the standpoint of, well, they they've certainly had room. <laughs> to get better as a as a passing attack. And they've certainly had room to bring in a true wide receiver that, that could end up being in the league for a long period of time. There's guys that have made – because, you know, I didn't, didn't even talk about Darius Slayton. His impact in college was not incredibly high, uh, but he's now in a multi-year NFL career that's looking pretty nice. So, again, it's not to say it doesn't happen, but certainly after 24, 25 years – that that's something that's in my mind, especially this game, this 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 entire game of football becomes more pass heavy, and now this offensive system figures to be more pass friendly than in years past. You know that's that's something that I will be at least curious to know when when this happens again. I'm not predicting it's this year because I still think there's things to work through, but I think it's on the horizon. I, I think it will happen, and and then that's you put up a number like that and you get a, a high draft selection. It all feeds off itself. I know people were making fun of him a little bit. I haven't. We haven't touched on this, but you know, Perry Thompson had the the comment the week after he commits. Uh, I trust you for his development of wide receivers more than Nick Saban. Well, heh, I mean, Nick I, Nick Saban, I don't agree with that. Nick Saban took uh, his number two
2: wide receiver a couple of years ago, who was about 5'9", 165 pounds, and he won the Heisman Trophy. So, so,
1: so right. I, what's, that's that's a lie, that's, but it's not, okay. <laughs> Uh, but but certainly I do think there is a quality level of development with what Freeze does with wide He's receivers. He's had some good ones. Uh, and so I think that they will get there, but you do need a couple of these guys to be the big time for Auburn before you start to say, oh, here's here comes a wide receiver factory or that sort of thing. So uh, I, that's something I'm definitely looking out for, one of the reverse sides of the ball there for, for just a moment as uh, Auburn looks to. Have a whole new cast of characters in that wide receiver room. Hopefully, some of them break out in 2023. We're going to take our first time out here of the second hour of the show. When we come back, we will reveal Sports Call's Player of the Week. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Now, back to the multi time Abbey Award winning Sports Call.
1: To Sports Call, Tiger ninety five point nine, Ryan Lavoy, Brant Dantry, Brooks Childress, with you here on this Thursday. It's been a uh, a warm and sunny day. I know this will absolutely shock you, as it is the month of August. But we've been having several severe thunderstorm warnings to the point where yesterday, if you were listening in the in the vehicle on the traditional radio, uh, you did not hear us close the bro- close the show. <laughs> it was they were going off left and right uh so hopefully no more of those this week okay. that was
3: the same way last night i was driving uh listening to the braves and there was a couple times from the braves broadcast it got interrupted
1: yeah i mean again the listening area spans several counties and so uh it's not always an immediate threat to to us of course we will we will always heed those warnings when they uh when they are involving us but uh yeah, it's been it's been active these these summertime thunderstorms have been uh, been a little meaner than the normal so hopefully we just keep avoiding those and uh, keep having these beautiful even though they're smoldering days <laughs> that sort of thing instead. All right as we continue on with this Thursday edition of the show let's reveal this week's sports call Player of the week. New York Liberty guard Sabrina Ionescu is Sports
2: Call's Player of the Week. The former Oregon Duck put the Liberty on her back over the past week, scoring a total of 61 points over four games, including a dominant 31-point performance to take down the Las Vegas Aces in the battle of the WNBA Super Teams. The win streak extended the lead the Liberty now have on the rest of the Eastern Conference, now leading the Connecticut Sun by one game. Sabrina Ionescu is Sports Call's Player of the Week.
1: So Sabrina Neskew is this week's Sports Call Player of the Week, as uh, she, uh, remember her at Oregon, I, I admittedly do not watch the WNBA, but uh, at Oregon she was something else, had huge numbers, can shoot the ball from 30 feet away, had a positive relationship with Steph Curry, and uh, that's again, that's, that's, that's kind of the things <laughs> I know about her.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know the, the WNBA that well, but... Um, that I know that the Liberty and the Aces are widely thought of as the two best teams in the league, so uh, scoring 31 points in that matchup and winning that game is pretty impressive for sure.
3: Yeah, you look at what she did last week. Um, she had two big performances, relatively big performances on national TV. You started the week off uh, on the road, two games on the road. You were at the Los uh, Los Angeles Sparks last week. That was her, her small performance of the week. She had 11 points on the night. Then she stepped it up on. Uh, I believe it was Thursday night. It was at it was Wednesday or Thursday night. She was at uh, the Minnesota Lynx. Had 18 points and then went off against the the Las Vegas Aces uh, on Sunday. 31 points. So on the week, uh, if you do the quick math on that, 60 points over a span of three games. 13 total rebounds, 15 assists on the on the uh, for, for the week. 33 minutes uh, was her average playing time uh, for the for the week in all three of those games. So. Uh, just just a lot of uh, she, she was very productive. you know, she, you saw her come out of Oregon. 2020 was the draft year first overall pick, and the New York Liberty were just absolutely awful. Uh, anybody that follows the WNBA is, is they were they were not great, and that's why they had the number one pick. And now you know they she's gotten them and it, and it's not just her, but she's been a driving force to get the Liberty to uh, what second in the East Conference right now. Uh, I think they're, they're, yeah, they're just behind. Well, they're second in the, they're first in the Eastern Conference, second in the league because the WNBA has some, like, some sort of weird ranking somehow. Uh, but the Aces are number one, Liberty number two. Uh, and then the uh, Connecticut Sun, who's got the former Auburn Tiger, DeJuana Bonner on it, is uh, in third. So Ian Eske had a great week last week. Um, and, yeah, she's uh, she's really, she's powered the Liberty this year. And it, she's, she's starting to, uh, as we head down the stretch toward the playoffs, Starting to uh, have some big performances.
1: So, Sabrina Inescu, this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. We continue on now uh, as we go back into conversation that has been um, pretty frequent on our air- airwaves. And I imagine a lot of talk radio shows.
3: A lot more expansion.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly what we're doing. We're uh,
3: expanding.
1: And so. We're getting bigger. Can, can Sports
3: Call. Um, what can, we, what can we do with expansion? Uh, salaries. Well, I mean, like, can we go, like, poach some something? Let's go poach locked-on Blue Devils. How about that? Can we poach locked-on <laughs> Blue Devils and bring them into the, the Sports Call family?
1: Uh, well, at least we've got a connection there um, with, with the host. Yeah. So, so maybe so. Uh, no, Sports Call is not expanding. We already expanded, guys. We went from two hours to three hours.
3: That's true. A couple yeah. years ago.
1: So, uh, no, we, we got our turn out of it uh, quite earlier. But... <laughs> The ACC now going through their conversations on whether to add Cal and Stanford to the league. And again, I, I can't, I, I brought up this is the third time this week. One time we didn't really hit on it, and the other time we did spend some good time on it. I can't bring it up and not make the joke about different coasts, about the Atlantic Coast Conference wanting teams that literally on the opposite coast from sea to shining sea. And and so I I just just, patriotic. (laughs) And so I it it floors me on the surface that that's the target. But you look around for other things to add. You're trying to find what can create some value, and at least you can go to ESPN, and that's because that's the big TV partner for the ACC. You can go to them say, look, you did not really want the sum of Pac-12 parts, fine, but now Fox is really going to dominate the West Coast. Because all those teams are going to be the Big 10, Big 12. And Big 12 has, I think they have some agreement with the ESPN, but it's split. Yeah. It's still a split agreement. Because
3: ESPN has the whole Big 12 Plus, which is on their, which is like ESPN Plus, but they, like some of their games are on ESPN Plus exclusively. Like some of their conference games are exclusively on ESPN Plus.
1: So I'm, I'm, I guess I need to figure out exactly who gets what with the Big 12 TV deal. Um, if ESPN has most or all the access to it, then then the point about the the pact about the west coast would would not be valid there. Um, but if not, then the pitch would be, hey, we can let you have a couple of you know a couple of schools that while they don't drive a lot, they at least um get you out west.
3: Well, when you're when you're looking at TV deals, if you're ESPN, you know, you you had no int- like you were saying they had no really no not much interest if any in the Pac-12 deal, you know, going going a lot of money. If you're ESPN though, you're looking at it with the Big 10, you know, the Big 10 grabbing USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. Their three biggest rivals with Fox, CBS, and NBC all having a stake in the Big 10. Are all west on have inf- have uh, viewing on the West Coast? You don't have any right now with with no Pac-12 deal.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've the brief things I, I've affirmed with the Big Twelve is that the, it is a Fox and ESPN deal still. I, I don't know who gets what. I don't know. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of both. But obviously, the ACC, other than outsourcing a game or two to Raycom, that's that's all ESPN. So. If you, if you want to still have a toe, I won't even say the foot, but if you want to have a toe in the Pac-12 former landscape, if you want to have it out in the Pacific Coast, then you can try to pitch that if you're the ACC with Cal and Stanford. Otherwise, it just does not make any sense. Um, they are good academic schools. The ACC does still carry on several schools that are pretty good academically that is a value to them. That's a reason one of the reasons Notre Dame is really wanting Cal and Stanford to be in the ACC in this whole debacle about should they be getting the voting right that they do without being a full-fledged member for football. We could we could certainly debate that. But last night there was movement towards a vote which never came because I think the commissioner Jim Phillips wants Cal and Stanford Uh, but they did not have the 12 out of 15 votes they needed. They need 75% of the league. They did not have it, so they didn't vote on it. And that's something that you see um, sometimes that's more of a politicking thing, political thing, where you don't have the votes. You try not to bring it up until you have the votes. And so I think it's pretty clear leadership wants – the ACC to add Cal and Stanford, but they got to have 12 out of 15 approval. And right now they're based on reporting one to two short. They're at about 10 or 11. The holdouts, I think are the North Carolinian schools, Carolina and Duke in particular. And I think maybe Virginia, Virginia tech from what I'm understanding, maybe, maybe, maybe some, some sort of that, but, I think this is an interesting situation because the ACC thinks that they can strengthen the league this way. However, what they could be causing is a more defined fracture because there is going to be bickering. This is this is they're not agreeing on this. Anytime you don't agree, already kind of volatile environment, it's not healthy for the league. And so it is important to figure out which teams are saying no here. So my question to you guys is: Are you worried more about the ACC if they end up not adding these two teams, or are you? Do you find that actually drives a a, a wedge even deeper into some of the top teams in the league versus the rest? Or, I mean, what should the course of action here be if you're the ACC and its teams?
2: It. <clears throat> I don't think the ACC is in any immediate danger. Now, I, I know that Florida State is openly unhappy and there's rumblings about other teams being unhappy uh, or, or other schools, I should say, being unhappy. But I, I really don't think they're in any immediate danger. I think the ACC, with FSU in particular, really holds all the cards uh, because of the contract that FSU and has with the ACC right now. oh I, I think it's weird to try and add those schools, and I know they're just trying to add them because they're Pac-12 schools and the Pac-12 is essentially dead. I don't know. I, I, I'm I for the EACC adding more schools if they feel like they need to add more schools, but I think those schools are weird to do it with just because they're free right now. I think the ACC is the type of conference that can reach into, say, the AAC and pull up a smaller team, like Memphis. Like I think Memphis would be a perfect team. If the ACC wants to expand, you can reach down and bring up Memphis, uh, and I'm sure there are some other teams that, if we looked hard enough, we could find uh, that would want to join the ACC. But I, if I'm the ACC, I don't know if I want to actively add schools on the West Coast. I mean, we've made, the, like you said, Ryan, we've made the joke a million times: the Atlantic Coast Conference adding something on the Pacific Coast. Um, I don't know. It, that just seems too far away to me, and I know geography means nothing at this point, but I would not be in a hurry to add those schools if I was the ACC.
1: Can I can I read you a brief quote from uh, Stanford coach uh, Troy, Troy Taylor? I hope you will. Did you see that yesterday? This I'm not. I'm okay with travel, Taylor said. If you've got to travel a little more, that means when they come play us, they have to travel. People used to have to come across the country in covered wagons. It would take a month and they'd be completely different people by the time they got here. We get on a plane for 5 or 6 hours. That's not the end of the world. Get drinks served to you and snacks. It's not that bad. <laughs> that is I a mean, real quote. He's he's is, not is he wrong. wrong.
2: He's not <laughs> factually incorrect. <laughs> but I'm just not sure. I it's agree. a very
1: different stance than than some of the other coaches we've yeah. we've spoke, yeah. we've heard speak publicly and
2: about. I, look, I've I've defended taking a bus two hours instead of flying thirty minutes. The the decisions have been made as far as travel, but it's so I don't know. It it would just be weird. It would just be weird to see Stanford playing in. I don't know, the East Coast
3: yeah, but you're gonna for see, every game. You're gonna see Oregon and you're gonna see Washington, USS USC and UCLA playing Rutgers and Maryland. Yeah, I know Penn and State. that's and
2: that's already weird. It's it just because it has already happened doesn't mean I love it.
3: You're gonna have BYU traveling to West Virginia. And Utah traveling to West Virginia for that matter.
2: I'm gonna be honest, if you put an American if you put a map of the United States in front of me, I'm not sure I could point out Utah. <laughs> I, I like I know kind of where it's kind it is. of rectangular. Yeah, I know it's, it's one of those many midwestern states that's like kind of rectangle, and I, they all just get jumbled together in my head.
3: Arizona, they're flying to West Virginia now.
2: Yeah, I so know, and it's weird. It's
3: weird. Here's what I think. Tell me, I from for, to to address the question that was that was posed here. Um, I I don't know if, if you add Stanford and you add Cal, if you're the ACC. I don't know if it fractures the ACC, the American Coast Conference, um, up top. I think if you add Stanford and you add Cal, I'm gonna you know obvi- you look at the two. Cal adds more value than Stanford does overall. Cal or Stanford's had more recent success in football. They've been in Rose Bowls more recently. Their uh, women's basketball program is perennially in the top five, top ten. Baseball continues to make perennially makes the the NCAA tournament. They make the College World Series. Oh, yeah, we it's it's basketball for both of these schools. Really, that that's kind of we
1: know the successes of Stanford athletic department. It's actually like the most successful athletic department because of these smaller sports, but it's not good up top.
3: So I I think that when you when you look at the the top programs, I think this I think adding these two. Helps. Your, it kind of, I think it helps your cause. I think it helps Florida State to kind of settle down and say, "All right, we're adding some value here." It's what you said. The a couple of the schools you mentioned, Virginia, Virginia Tech, some of the the mid tier that are you know have there. I, I consider the mid tier sports in certain in certain mid tier schools in certain sports they are higher tier, certain sports lower tier. You know, every like every school. I think it's uh, some of those that kind of that are already fussy about it are still fussy, but I think that you look at it, if, if you were at this point, you look at your other options. If you're, you know, you're, you're a Virginia school, let's just take those two. Your other options right now. The SEC is not actively recruiting. If, if Greg Sankey is to be believed, which like you said, I believe him too. I believe that they're not actively recruiting anybody. The Big Ten already has 15 billion schools in it now. And so if you are looking and, you know, it, there's there hasn't been conversations yet. I'm sure they're going to have conversations. We're just looking at football about college football playoff expansion again. But right now there's not conversations going on to go past 12. Well, if you leave the ACC and you go to the Big Ten and you, you've got to fight all of those schools for a playoff spot and you got to fight all those schools, meanwhile – when you look at the ACC right now, even you know adding Stanford and and Cal, you've had a, a pretty diverse. Uh, well, I say pretty diverse. One division has been pretty diverse in in who they've sent to the ACC championship game. Clemson's been most of the time on one side. You've had North Carolina. You've had Pitt. You've had Virginia was actually was in it a few years ago. Am yeah, I mistaken?
1: I think they've all been in and, it pretty much. In the last ten or twelve years, so yeah.
3: you you you've got a better chance of punching your way into a playoff, especially with an expanded playoff. You get to that championship game; it's not guaranteed you're getting in there because your record. You could still win a division with a, a sloppy record, but it enchance, it increases your chances of getting there. And so, I, I think that once you you know you offer up to the, these ACC schools that are kind of questionable, said, "Hey, look, these two schools can add value." Yes, the travel would would be awful, but on the other hand, they've also got to travel to you, like like the Stanford coach said. You can travel; you have to travel them. That's bad, but they also have to travel over to you to play you. And so it it it's you know reverse that, um, and it you can leave, but look where else you can go. The Big Twelve's got a billion schools now. The Big Ten's got a billion schools now. Do you want to go down a couple a tier to the AAC? Do you want to go down a couple a tier? To no. the pack 12 you want to go do the same thing and go to the pack 2 it, It's not there. I, I think that once you you sit down and you look at it, and in, in, when in the scope of college football, I think everybody's going to settle down. They may not be a hundred percent on board. Nobody, when you have a group of of individuals, you're never going to get a hundred percent approval. Every, not everybody's going to be hundred percent happy with everything. But I think that that you you look at the big picture. You say, we've got a better chance, at least on the football side of things, of making the college football playoff as it's formatted right now with 12 teams in the ACC than we do in any of these other conferences.
1: Again, I think you you laid it out there. I mean, the leverage not with Florida State. My, my, my concern is, though, I don't know. I just – what would move the Big Ten needle? That's the one we really need to look at because – If the SEC is being truthful, which, again, we believe they are, they're not going to reach out to others. They'll accept the phone calls, but they still at this time, without other movement, are not going to feel the need to to bring anyone else in. So, really, it's on the Big Ten. Because the Big 12 financially does not assist Florida State the way that they are trying to to pretend they need to be the, the numbers aren't there it's it's low to mid 20s in the acc right now per team millions per year and it is low 30s with the big 12 but obviously when you enter you're not guaranteed a full share that's a negotiation that could affect other people's shares it, it could end up being in the 20s again now the promise would be that you could get to a higher number sooner but just ignore the money Look at the teams there. I still contend as good of a job as I believe the Big 12 has done um, with the first four additions, UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, and now the additions of Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, uh, and Utah. It's a huge conference. I'm still not sure you have to be of the opinion that is a better one than the ACC. I think it is a very competitive conference with the ACC. I think it is within the realm of a year-to-year basis. But to think about the success that Clemson's had the last decade, to think about the history of Florida State football, to think about the history of the University of Miami, to think about the capabilities that Virginia Tech had for 30 years with Beamer, to think about a history, although it is not good the last 10 or so 15 years, to think of a history that Pittsburgh does have, I'm just not sure that when you talk about Oklahoma State, BYU, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, whatever you deem the top of the new Big 12 to be, I'm not sure that top is better. I think it is very possible it will be a deeper league. Well, it will well, have so many teams. But I'm not sure the top of that league's better than the ACC, not at ACC's full potential. It's a money thing. And so that, to me, is a lateral move at best for Florida State. It has to be the SEC or the Big Ten. And so circling back to the whole point of the voting, what would the Big Ten be interested in? If they're not really eager to add Florida State or Clemson right now, why would that needle move? Why would the ACC start to fall apart? Why would it make any sense for Florida State to leave to anyone else other than the SEC or the Big Ten? It does not. So the voting, like like this, the voting fracture in these teams, it might make things a little more tense, that three or four or five teams are not on board with the other ten. But what real tangible thing can you point to of it being a consequence I'm not sure because I don't think it changes the leverage dynamic. Can I
2: propose just kind of a a, a crazy, insane theory of possibility real quick? The, Always. The, 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 th- the conference that's been by far the most aggressive during all of this is the Big Ten, and the reason they're doing that is because they want to show, I think when they pulled USC and UCLA, they were trying to show that they could keep up with the SEC. Now they've added Oregon and Washington, They're closing that gap even more. I think the Big Ten wants to surpass the SEC. And if they were to do that, you know how they could do it and really demonstrate superiority? They could try and pull a team from the SEC. I think that at some point, and I think we're a couple of years from this, but I think it is very possible, and I I do want to give credit where it's due. I think I heard this on the shutdown forecast. This is not an original idea. But I think at some point, the Big Ten could start approaching SEC teams and saying, hey, we're the better conference. We have the better media rights deal because we've got more teams. Whatever, whatever argument they want to make as to why they are better for Tennessee or Florida or, or whatever SEC team that has success but may still want to get out of the SEC because they're not just dominating it, they could legitimately come over and make that offer. And if that happens, then all of a sudden... I mean, we're talking about a firestorm.
1: Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. That's a non-starter for me. You think uh, so? Yeah. You, if you wanted I'm not to saying say, it's
2: likely. I'm saying it's possible.
1: I just think that they would be laughed at by most of the league. I think the only team that wouldn't laugh would be like Kentucky. Vanderbilt. Well, they wouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't would they approach they, Vanderbilt. Yeah, I don't like think they're big. Vanderbilt. Excellent. We're going to change the dynamic of college athletics. We're going to get... Vanderbilt, ah oh, yes, brilliant.
3: The SEC would be like, all right,
1: yeah, fine, I don't care. Yeah, uh,
3: we'll, they actually wouldn't yeah. notice. It'd be the next football season. They won't Georgia, notice. The why is there season. a hole yeah. on your schedule? Well, there's <laughs> Vandy left. What? <laughs> when?
2: Base baseball in the Big Ten just
1: got insane, but the rest of it is. <laughs> yeah, again, I. Like, well, they'd
3: be the only baseball team in the Big Ten.
1: Uh, only one would they? Yeah, the only ba- one that's ba- good. The that, that, Big Ten baseball. That's is only a couple bit league. Okay, it's okay. Not hey, a good you said.
2: You said the only one, and I thought you meant like none of those schools play baseball. And I am like, no, surely no, no, they do. Surely they play good.
3: it, and it's what it feels like. No,
1: again, I I think that Kentucky's the only one that even hear him out, just from a basketball perspective. But the the revenue, the Big Ten will lead the way in revenue, but it's not night and day. The SEC will still be in the fifties per year. Big Ten will be in the sixties. Um, I, I again, I I just that it will all it what it'll be the SEC versus the Big Ten from acquiring every other piece of land, it will not be any exodus from the SEC into the Big Ten, in my right. opinion. I just I can't fathom the reasoning behind that because everyone in, is in such a great financial health in the SEC, too. I, it just, again, that, that would be a non-starter for, for really all the Little league's teams. I, I think that the Big Ten would be more likely to do something with Florida State Clemson if Kevin Warren was still the commissioner. I think they have been much more reserved since then. They had they like, they like to stress over it with Oregon-Washington. Remember, I, I want to remind you of this. 2022, last year, Oregon and Washington wanted in the Big Ten. The Big Ten said no. They almost had to be... Wa- That's why a lot of people believe Fox is, is involved in this. Because the Big Ten originally did not accept Oregon-Washington. And so they had to kind of be coerced into, fine, we'll do it. I think that they feel a similar way to the SEC. They're very confident in their own league. They think they have acquired what they've needed to acquire. They think they're in a great position. And I think fundamentally, I actually don't think that their wild desire, just like Greg Sankey, I don't think that their wild desire is to create two awesome conferences and everyone else be – I just absolutely non-existent. I think they do want other conferences to exist. I think they want to beat other conferences. They don't want to eliminate them. And so I don't think that they are bloodthirsty because if they were, think about it this way, if they were, would they not take Florida State right now? Why wouldn't they? Why would you not? If you wanted to end other conferences and wanted it to be a Napoleon conquest, you just <laughs> take Florida State and Clemson right now. You
3: would just do it. What's that movie that like the cities roll around and like eat other cities? There's there's uh the the Mortal Instruments or something. I'm unfamiliar. There's right, there's like yeah. a movie where like the city it's like the future dystopian world and like all these sure. cities are on like these treads and they're eating other like they're going around and capturing other cities and eating them. That's what they would be doing. They'd be running around.
1: <laughs> uh, and that they are not for now, at least for now. Uh, things are always apt to change though in this ever-changing landscape of college athletics we are out of time for hour number two when we come back in hour number three a sports call five at five we'll go through five things to watch out for as Auburn fall practice continues they continue with their first scrimmage this Saturday and then after that a preview of Texas A&M football in 2023 14 SEC schools in 13 days continues on in the five o'clock hour we continue on with sports call right after this timeout.
0: Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started.
1: Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday afternoon. as I've done at the beginning of each hour, I want to again remind you that tomorrow, we will be having a very shortened show. It will only be one hour in length. Because the Atlanta Falcons' first preseason game kicks off on our airwaves. So, pregame starts at four o'clock. So, again, tomorrow, only a one hour show, which means for the final time this week, we're set for the sports call five at five, presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment. But it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them at selandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, we're going to go over five things to watch as we get set for the first fall scrimmage for Auburn football. This was the sixth practice day for the Tigers, but their first full scrimmage is on Saturday. So we're going to give you five things to watch out for and five things that we hope to learn from that scrimmage. Number one. Well, as always, we hope we have more clarity about the quarterbacks. Obviously, we do not expect a starter named. My hope, I don't know about you guys, but I would hope that at least we get one narrowed down, that we get it down to two. Don't have a strong preference on the two, just want to get it down to two, get some progression in this. Uh, we've heard from Hugh Freeze earlier that someone will be named starter. They will not be rotating two quarterbacks in game one. However, it's up to whoever is named starter to play well, produce, make the right reads, etc., to keep that job. It's going to be... Still ever evaluating that position, but uh, we hope to learn more about the quarterbacks, certainly in the first scrimmage of the fall. Number two. Number two, I brought this one up a little bit earlier. I'm interested to see wide receiver production uh in the first scrimmage I want to see who they're playing I want to see if anyone makes any big plays if anyone has a lot of targets just see who who's someone that maybe that's the best indicator of who might be winning these practices at the wide receiver position is who gets targeted a lot who are these quarterbacks feeling comfortable throwing the ball to uh who is winning their routes winning their one-on-ones that sort of thing so I'm really interested to see the wide receivers because again what goes hand in hand once we figure out the quarterback position who they're throwing to and so I want to see how these wide receivers produce in this first scrimmage. Hopefully, I I don't know everything that we'll get to know. I don't know if we'll be blessed with the full uh, stat sheet or not, Uh, but certainly want to hear a bunch of observations on who are getting the bulk of the targets, the wide receiver position. Number three. Number three, kind of similar. This is the last offensive topic. Want to see the carry ratio for the running backs. Uh, I know that always you don't want to – completely you know, just give one guy a bunch of carries certainly in a practice you don't want to wear out the projected starters so in some sense like to see someone like demario to not get many carries actually might be more telling than him getting a lot of carries because it might mean that they feel really good about him, that they want to look more at brian battee or jeremiah cobb sean jackson etc trying to work down the line a little bit but want to see what that carry ratio is for the running backs also to make sure Jarquez hunter participates we would assume that he would he has been Practicing the last couple of days, but uh, certainly want to see how everyone is kind of breaking up, divvying up the carries for those running backs. Number four, number four. Want to check out the on the defensive side of the ball, uh, the edge versatility. Again, I don't know how much of a deep dive we're going to get to to know about the scrimmage, but if I'm just if let's say I get to know, we get to know all that we want to know. I want to know if they're able to play some of these guys all three downs or not, or if someone like Jalen Clouds only playing third downs, only playing pass rush situations. There's been talk about he is been better against the run than maybe people thought coming into it, so maybe he will be playing three downs. But I want to see with some of those edge rushers, some of those guys on the end of the line, if they're able to play all three downs or if they're niche guys or if they're only in certain situations just how versatile can some of these newcomers up front in the front seven be uh so that's something that again i'm not sure that we're going to get to know that just to be clear i don't think that's something we're going to really know uh from the first scrimmage but still hope to know it and maybe we'll get all the details on that and last up number five on our sports call five at five again the f- five things to watch out for in the first scrimmage for auburn fall football Number five is, again, something that I'm pretty sure we're not going to be privy to this information, but we talked a little bit early about Ron Roberts' philosophy and and what he likes to do in the defensive side of the ball. I want to see how much they blitz in the first scrimmage of the year. If they are feeling comfortable enough to send blitzes at all three levels, if they are uh, if their quantity is very high, I would assume that it would be. I think that's something just that's just a part of who Rob, Ron Roberts is as a coach. I think that they definitely want to blitz, but are they comfortable enough at every level the defense sending an extra guy from time to time? That's going to be something interesting. So uh, again, that sports calls five at five, five things to watch out for and fall practice as they have, uh, Auburn has their first scrimmage on Saturday, quarterbacks, wide receiver production the carry rate for all the running backs, edge versatility, and then the blitz rate for the defense as a whole. Uh, give you guys just uh, a thought here before we go to our next break, before we get to Texas A&M. Anything else off of, outside of that five that you may be interested to see, or did that kind of cover it? I want to look at the
2: offensive line a little bit, see who the starters were at that spot. I know I, I talk about offensive line a lot on here but we've kind of seen more rotation uh, in fall practices with the starting offensive line than I thought we would. You brought in what felt like a million transfers on the offensive line, and I expected those guys to all kind of walk in here and just immediately be better, maybe not leaps and bounds better, but separate themselves, be the guys that come in and are going, okay, these, this is our starting offensive line. You haven't really seen that. You've seen more rotation in that offensive front than I think was expected. So uh, going forward, I want to see who those guys are. And I, I like the point you made about who's playing that jack position. Who's that edge rusher, and are they out there for all three downs? Uh, do they go into these rabbit package looks where they have two stand-up edge, edge defenders? What does that room look like going forward as well?
3: Yeah, and, and the for me, that top five pretty much covered it. Uh, as with everybody else, I think in the album fan base, I'd like to see uh, see what the quarterback position looks like coming out of it. I know that uh, Philip Montgomery said uh, during his uh, his presser earlier this week he's looking for one of these guys to like take that next step forward and kind of kind of take the lead here uh, and and kind of get a guy to you know see a rally around. And I think that's what what's going to really shine. This weekend is that the, that quarterback position. Who's the guy that can go out there and against that first team defense in live action uh, can lead that team down the field and and have a have a successful uh, successful scrimmage because the fir- the you know you do that and I know this this Auburn defense is is we. We're, I think everybody knows that we're nobody's worried about it, but it's not an Auburn defense like we've seen in these past few years, where there's a bunch of stars on it, and you're like, oh yeah, this is gonna be you know th- this is gonna be a great defense, but it's still an SEC defense you're going up against. Can Robbie Ashford or uh, uh, Holden Gurner or? Uh,
1: Peyton Thorne. Peyton Thorne. Thorne.
3: I keep forgetting. I want to say Paxton, and it's like it's not Paxton Lynch, Brooks. <laughs> Stop saying that. Uh, but one of those three, really one of those two with Ashford or Thorne, uh, to run out there and to lead that team down the field and see, see what they can do against live action. Because I know they've gone live a couple times in practice, but on, on a scrimmage in the stadium, it's a different environment, and so you're you're going to get and see what see how who can take the reins with the offense and and have some uh, positive production.
1: We're going to take our first break here of the third and final hour of the show. When we come back, we'll have a preview of Texas A&M football. Earlier this week, we went through Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Arkansas. On to someone or a program that has been very much talked about. We'll talk about the Aggies next. <music>
0: your attention please
4: ladies and gentlemen
0: can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi my name is, what? My, name is what? my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 now back to auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show sports call
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the FM, and the Tiger Communications app. Brian LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Brooks Childers with you here on this Thursday afternoon. If you ever missed anything, go back and check out the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola Taste the Feeling. All right, today it is Texas a m Day as we continue to break down all the SEC schools. Because of the shortened show tomorrow only being one hour, we will not have a school tomorrow. Uh, it will be a, again, very short show.
3: Again, kids, no school.
1: <laughs> so, no, uh, no, <laughs> there will be school for you. I, it's no school for us breaking down. I, I should, I know everyone understood that, but. Brooks gives me a hard time. He keeps me on my toes. Appreciate it though. Um So can
3: I ask something though? <laughs> yeah, no,
1: go ahead. This, yeah.
3: I mean this is uh, this is only semi serious. Um, with it being Texas AM Day to start before we start getting into this, does that mean we all get to make a uh, unfunny joke about some of their opponents?
2: N- no. I don't know what you're getting I, at. The
3: the midnight yell, remember last year where they were making oh.
2: like oh. jokes oh, about yeah. App State and then App State no, came down don't. and beat them? Yeah, I've last gotta, last year they do they do that. They've been doing that for forever. I know they yeah. do
3: it for, but it's like it went viral last year when they yeah. were when they had the videos and it was just, they were they were all unfunny and then outstate <laughs> state beat them.
2: Yeah, and they say in like the weird cadence, like they don't tell they don't just tell a normal joke. They say it weird.
3: Jimbo couldn't call a play, so he got brought in a new OC. I
1: don't know. Yeah, no, that's. That's atrocious. Anyway, <laughs> Texas A and was pretty so atrocious weird. last year, uh, finishing five and seven. Who were they! With the lofty expectations they had coming into this year's sixth year for Jimbo Fisher. So we have the five years right in front of us: nine and four, eight and five, nine and one, eight and four, five and seven. Obviously, no double digit winner again. That twenty twenty is just a mis. <laughs> I hate that that year happened. Uh, it's a misleading. Season that would have been a double digit year for A and M, uh, it was only a one loss season with a New Year six win over North Carolina in the Orange Bowl. Uh, nevertheless, still no technically no ten win seasons for A and M, and a really bad one last year. It was not looking good after week two when they lost to Appalachian State. They then righted the ship briefly. They beat Miami seventeen to nine, and they beat Arkansas in that heartbreaker for the Razorbacks. So got back in the top twenty, and then they went a while uh, without winning. So it, it it changed their season dramatically after that three and one start. Aggies this year a lot of returning players. They did bleed a lot of the players that they had recruited the previous year. That that top that top class they got. I think they lost eight or nine of those guys after one season, something like that. Maybe ten. Uh, they lost at least a third of the class, if not more. So that was a lot to lose off of a very healthy class, but I still think the talents on the team. I still think the potential's there. It's very hard to know what's going to happen with these with these guys this year. Bobby Petrino adds an even more dramatic wrinkle into it. Um, I think it'll be epic either way. I, I I understand some sometimes you meet in the middle. And there's a boom scenario where AM's a double digit win team this year and they look awesome and it finally p- pays off to a degree until it doesn't next year <laughs> or something, but it, it's a big year. Or they have another crash and burn year like last year and we start talking buyouts and will they do it and can can he even continue on anymore and, and all those conversations. I think we are all going to agree. On this, I think the plant your flag, if you had to pick one of those, would be on the worst side of things for AM. What kind of case could you make for the positive side of AM?
2: I think there's a very easy case to make for the positives. Uh, you, you had an historic class uh, a couple of years ago as far as recruiting, you've had really good classes in the years leading up to that. You've got a coach who has won a national championship, he's bringing in an OC. Who has been who has at one time or another been heralded as a genius in play calling, um, coached a Heisman Trophy winner at Louisville of all places. So you're super talented at, at at just about every position. You've got a decent coaching staff. At at worst, a decent coaching staff. On paper, Texas A&M is a team that should come into this season with expectations of competing for an SEC title. But they had a very similar setup last year and were abysmal. On on paper does not include personalities. And right now you've got two of the most inflammatory personalities in all of college football working with each other. And at some point, those two are going to come to a head and Jimbo's going to pull rank on Bobby. And if Jimbo makes the wrong decision in that moment, then Bobby is going to get upset, and then they're going to keep getting more and more upset at each other, and that, that thing's going to go nuclear. I I could very easily see that happening. They have all the talent they need. They have good play callers. They have two pretty decent play callers. I don't know how good their defense is going to be, but they have the talent to be good. There's There's... There is no reason, from a on-paper perspective, ignoring the final record of last season, why they should be a bad team. And yet, I think we all believe that they will be because of who they have as
3: their
1: coaching staff right now. Brooks, give me a case before you deep dive into it. Give yeah. me a case for why they'd be good.
3: Why they're good? Ten returning starters on offense, ten returning starters on defense. Out of the seven games they lost last year, five of them were one-score games. Okay. And when you look at the history of it, you know, you, you, you always think, you, know, you, you look at it, if they lost these one-score games last year, odds are you're not going to lose that many one-score games the year after. And then you look at, you know, I don't remember who it was that we talked to at, um, you know, at uh, SEC Media Days, if it was Chuck Oliver or if it was uh, Brandon Marcello that said this. Um, and it's a, it, you look at that offense, 10 returning starters, the whole offensive line is back. You say, well, it wasn't that good last year. One of, like I said, either, I'm going to have to go back and listen to it, either Chuck Oliver said it or Brandon Marcelo said it, that last year when they, were talk, when they would talk to, when uh, they talked preseason to Jimbo Fisher, he said, we're going to have a great offensive line next year. Our offensive line is going to be one of the best in the country
1: next year. And that it, sounds he, like Chuck Oliver. He he kept your cadence. Sounds like Chuck it, Oliver. It, it,
3: that's why I was thinking it, but it felt like it was a Marcelo. Marcella. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it, and you can too on the Sports Call Podcast feed, uh, brought to you by Coca Cola. Good plug. But if if Jimbo Fisher is saying that last year, and is looking at it, uh, you know he's he's I, taking what you you know having your opinion on, on Jimbo Fisher as a coach, whatever you want, he has had success. He's had a lot of success. T- Texas A&M it didn't give him this massive contract for nothing. For for coming up as an offensive coordinator and saying, "We're just going to hire you." He's had proven success at a at power at the Power 5 level. Um yeah, you look at last year the, the the games that they didn't they weren't really in was that Mississippi State game and you know Mississippi State threw the ball around forever. And the other one was the Florida game, which that was that was kind of a They just
1: didn't game. take those teams yeah. seriously. No, I mean seriously. Like they, they had Bama the week after Mississippi State. Yeah, they scared the heck out of Alabama. It was, un, it was. We couldn't yeah. believe it. And All, then it
3: was almost a, a Jimbo. A, a, a Jimbo beat them the year before, almost beat them back to back, and in Nick Saban's
1: house. And then they played Ole Miss the week before they got thumped by Florida, and lost one of their three point games against a top fifteen team. And then they just figured, Ah, oh, Florida's not going to care, and you know, and so they. They, the worst two teams in that stretch, uh, aside from Auburn, um, they just they just didn't get up for. Her. Yeah. They, they just didn't take them seriously. You, uh, and, there's no other way to say it. And
3: you look at, you know, if, if you want to dive a little deeper there, you look at that, the lines from last year's game, their biggest deficit, they were a uh, plus-24 underdog to Alabama, like we were saying, lost by four. And then they were a plus-10 LSU, ended up beating LSU, who everybody, you know, they won the West. And everybody's picking them. There, there's everybody's saying they could be the team that upsets Alabama this year. I think there's a lot to be positive about Texas A&M this year.
1: There, I mean, again, I know Miami did not end up having a, a big season last year, but the and, and, and Arkansas fell flat too. But their three P five wins were Miami, Arkansas, LSU. That trio was ranked 13th, 10th, and sixth at the time that A and played them. I just think that they were kind of immature. And if I'm making the argument for them this year, I think that they, with all of the returning guys that played, look, they did, like I said, they bled some recruits. They they lost some guys, some of their high-profile guys they wanted to keep. But look at everything they've got back. Really, the only thing they're not returning of significance on offense is Devin Ochain, who had 1,100 rushing yards last year, and he was damn good. So that that is a loss. We'll see what they do there. But that was it on offense. They returned multiple offensive line guys, I think, four of the five, if not all five. I think all five, actually. Yeah. They returned their top receivers, Evan Stewart, Aniah Smith, who remember Aniah Smith was going to be uh, with us at media days two years ago, had the suspension, then he got injured, so he did not have a year last year. He still thought of was one of the most talented guys in the league. And in theory, he's going to be healthy and whole this year. And then defensively, of their top, what is this, seven tacklers, they return six of them. Okay? And so they have everyone back. And you know what's kind of also odd about it? This is not I, – I, this is an interesting conversation because, again, we have pretty strong opinions about how it's been going with Jimbo Fisher. But I was also looking at the projected stars. We'll see how it plays out. These are projected. Okay? We've still got a month to go but or a little less than a month ago three weeks yay <laughs> not not even a month now of their projected starters there's only three seniors of the entire group of starters offense and defense so this team in theory is still working up to it a lot of sophomores and juniors now look obviously you you have big years junior you go pro but the idea here is this team is actually this is not even the make-or-break year from the roster standpoint. Now, you can't have more transfers. You can't have huge roster mismanagement if it doesn't go awesome this year. But in theory, this is for just from a purely roster standpoint, assuming they can retain most of it, this is actually not even the make-or-break year. The make-or-break ne- year would be next year. We just feel it's the make-or-break year from standpoint of you can't pay this man this much money and have this little success with it. Uh, and and for this long. This is the sixth year, not the second or third. If it's the second or third year, yeah, you grow with the team. Let's do it a little more old-school style. Let's grow with the team. But I think for them, as you said, all these reasons, that is the compelling case of why someone like Phil Steele thought highly of them, uh, thinks that they could be very highly ranked this year by the end of it. And it's why I see the pathway, too, I'm just kind of under the assumption that if it can go wrong, it will with the Jimbo Fisher tenure. I just think that he's just lost his touch. He has not done a great job with quarterbacks at AM. Um, Kellen Mond got like 2% better three consecutive years. It turned into he was a decent quarterback by the end of it, but he was not great. He was still fine. And then we saw Max John, or we saw uh, Zach Calzada. We saw some Max Johnson in the past. It's going to be Connor. We saw Haynes King last year. <laughs> uh, and now Connor Wegman is going to be the guy who played some last year. I think he had an injury, was playing better than Haynes King, though, to a degree. The, again, the completion percentage you look at was 55%. That's just not particularly good. At least he didn't have any interceptions, eight TDs. But. Um, they're hanging their hat on some QB development here because I think the rest of the team will be pretty good the last point I'll make and then I want to throw it back to the the negative case to you guys or, or or at least what you guys think will actually happen aka the negative case <laughs> <laughs> um is I trust this team to be good defensively and that's another mark and a problem of a guy that's supposed to be an offensive guy last year 21 points a game and I just told you they were bringing out six of their seven top tacklers. Okay, they were 21 points a game. That was 25th in the country. They did a quality job defensively. Bama, who's reliably a really good offensive team at home, 24 points. I know that was the Milton game I, I sh- or Milro game I shouldn't be, you know saying that was a plus version of Alabama. It was clearly not, but they didn't get phased. They didn't just have a mental breakdown there. That was 24 points Is not awful. LSU, 23 points. Daniels and that that powerful offense. They seem to, you know, Lane Kiffin, thirty-one points. I can forgive it. It's not awesome, but I can forgive it. Miami, nine points earlier in the year. Arkansas, twenty-one. There was the clunker against Mississippi State, forty-two. But there was a lot of pl- plenty good off our defensive performances in there. For again, a group that was mostly freshmen and sophomores. So again, there's there's a, a pretty long-winded case of how it could be good. So guys, now tell me where you feel it will end up going. And if it will be a bat, end up being the, the bad case.
2: Like I said, you've got Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher, two guys that are known for being pretty prideful. And I think it's going to take one butting of heads to send at least the offense down a bit of a spiral. And when you have your offensive head, when you have an offensive head coach, and your offense starts to suffer, then I think that you know the entire team's going to start to suffer. I, I don't think that those two are going to be able to keep it behind closed doors to where that team can't see it. Uh, And even if they do argue, and again, coaching staffs argue all the time. It's part of the game. You get emotional. It it happens. But I think this is going to go a little bit deeper than one or two shouting matches. I I think there's going to be some discourse, and it's only going to take one for that relationship to turn sour. And really, this season could turn south. I, I can see the path where it works, but I'm a lot more confident in the path where it doesn't.
3: Look at the you look at their schedule this year. I'm gonna give them three wins automatically because it's just you know they should out, outclass three of these teams: New Mexico, ULM, Abilene Christian. They should outclass all three of those teams. They've got more talent than they should win all the, three of those games. Your first big test is on the road at Miami. You beat them 17 to nine last year. Miami is a lot of people are picking to be a top five ACC team this year. They make a rebound this year with Mario Cristobal down there. That's gonna be tough. Um, do I think they can win that game with the talent that they've got on their roster? Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a toss-up right now preseason, but I, I think A&M's got the, got the talent to win it. So let, Auburn, I don't know what Auburn's going to look like. That, that's the problem. is th- That's going to be the first big test for Auburn is that road game at Texas A&M. If, tex- if, if Texas a goes down and handles Miami – it I, I I'm not confident in Auburn's chances to go on the road and win that game that early in the year with the new head coach. But if Auburn goes, you know, and looks really good in their three pre uh, preseason non conference games leading up to that, <laughs> whoa, <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of a cows a little more than preseason, yeah. <laughs> but but certainly the other two, but get feel that way.
3: If you go, if you handle business and you look convincing, that could be also a toss up. Arkansas, Alabama, and at Tennessee. That could get rough if you if you go down a wrong way. I think you you look at that Arkansas game. I think you've got a you know A&M's got a real chance to win that one, much like they did last year. Alabama and at Tennessee. That is where this Texas A&M team is going to be judged this year. Because if you go in and you win one of those games, even if you even if it's you win Tennessee and you lose Alabama. With what you think that LSU could be at the new year, that's not a death sentence for your SEC West chances. Even if if you lose to Alabama, um, it it doesn't help you, but or it, it doesn't it's not a positive, obviously. But yeah, you know, it, it's that's a rough stretch there. And then you finish out the year: South Carolina at Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Again, we said Abilene Christian at LSU. Those are winnable too. You, you look, you know, South Carolina is is a team we're high. A lot of people are high on this year. Um, but if you get them at home, if the if South Carolina doesn't pan out, you can you've got a chance to win that one. You've got uh Ole Miss team who is again a, a team that we talked about earlier this week. We're very confident uh, about the offense. It's the defensive side of the ball that we we uh, said was a little bit uh suspect, and how they how they go with the quarterback position is also something that that's big. Mississippi State, we just don't know what's going to happen with them this year, and then LSU finish out the year LSU you beat them last year and they won the west and they're a team that is a is a dark horse to get into that playoff is, is a lot of people think and so there's there's potential in the schedule i think realistically i think you could look at an 8 to 9 win season here um, but i could also see it going up to 10 if you if you pick off one of those lsu tennessee or alabama you pick off one of those i could see i don't think they win all three of them or two of them. I think if you pick off one of them, you can get up to ten wins. Um, and obviously, their floor you, you catch—you know—you you lose to Alabama, Tennessee, LSU. You lose to, to uh, Mississippi or Ole Miss. That's four losses right there. You lose to an Auburn or a South Carolina. That's five. And then you know, I, I think honestly, their floor should be seven and five right now with this talent. Their floor should be seven and five. I think they—they they are not—they turn that schedule or that record around from last year with what's on this team. If not, well, all that NIL money that the boosters are pouring into Texas A&M's NIL, it may start to pour into the buy da- uh, Jimbo out fund real <laughs> quick.
1: So, look, there's two ways to look at this. One is paper. One is what happened last year. On paper, I agree. The floor really shouldn't be lower than 7-5. Like you, ju- like, you have too much talent. You've recruited well. We talked about that number one class, but they've recruited well ever since Jimbo was there. It's not like they were 30th and 26th and all that. And then first, I mean, they were still top 10 up there. So they've got a lot of talent, and they have big-name coaches there because of Petrino adding on to their offensive staff. So Paper says this team should – really, Paper says this team should, should be 9 or 10 wins. It, it should not struggle to be a competent team is it too young to win the big games maybe so that's why it ends up being a nine or ten win team i say too young in terms of you know class not in terms of experience because a lot of these kids again played last year the problem is they already went five and seven last year and we're already having doubts with jimbo fisher's ability to develop which is kind of unbelievable for a guy that's been in college football this long and I felt had done a good job at Florida State up until the very last season where he checked out. And so nevertheless, I, I still have those questions. I'm sorry I do. I don't know if he can develop the way that we thought he could. And so when I look at the worst-case scenario, could they go to Miami and lose after beating them 17-9 to last year? Yeah, they could. Be really bad, would be inauspicious. Mario Cristobal would be a very excited, first big win for him at Miami. But they could do that. They host Auburn in the twenty-third. Going to be Auburn's first big game. Cal's a something. It's not a nothing, but it's certainly it's not a preseason game. Not, not, <laughs> not a preseason game, but it's it's not a game Auburn should be losing. So we won't know what we need to know about Auburn yet. But could a And M lose that game? Sure. Auburn AM and up until the last couple of years, i probably still talk about it too much this time. Auburn A&M loved to go beat each other on the, on, the, on the road. Loved it. Did it for like five or six straight years. So yeah, Auburn's not intimidated playing there. But again, first big game he frees. I'm not saying this will be win. I'm just simply saying giving you the worst case scenario. Yeah, A M could lose. Could Arkansas make the field goal last year instead of doink it? Could Arkansas not fumble reaching for the goal line return for a touchdown by AM? Sure. Arkansas can beat A&M on a neutral field. Really should have done it last year. Then can AM lose to Bama Duh. Can they lose that Tennessee? Sure. <laughs> can AM lose South Carolina? They did last year. South Carolina's still building positive momentum too. They shouldn't be worse. They could lose South Carolina. Could they lose that old miss? Well again, they did last year. Ole Miss, I don't think, will be worse. I'm not guaranteeing Ole Miss will be better. shouldn't be worse. Then I think A&M will be Mississippi State. I'll give them that one. I'll stop being negative. I'll give that to them.
3: But they lost to them last year.
1: I'll give it a true. And I'll give them Abilene. Could they lose to LSU? I know they didn't last year. Good for them. Big win in the year. Could they lose in Death Valley? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. My point is, if you want to be honest floor, the honest floor again is around five and seven. That is honestly the floor. They could do that again. It would be incredibly detrimental <laughs> to their long-term success. It would be very much buy- be buyout time, whatever that number's going to be. But yeah, it's in play. Now, ceiling-wise, I think it's still positive, but this is a tough schedule. Like, you are playing tennessee on the road that is not, that's the projected second team in the east and you're pro- playing the projected third team in the East. so yeah you miss georgia great that is important but you still play the next worst things they're two and three and then at miami okay i can still think of bigger non-conference games but miami's still on AM's level right now that is going to be a tough game that should be a close game and then the fact that the other teams that you're fighting for in the middle of the west Arkansas is neutral. It always is, but it's neutral. Ole Miss is on the road, and LSU is on the road. So, congrats. You're you're on paper already better than Mississippi State and Auburn. You host them. That should give you the advantage. But all the teams that you were looking up at last year – well, you were looking up everybody last year – but all the teams you're looking up at in the preseason poll or think are on an even playing field with you and talent or expectations for this year, you're on the road. You're not home. So that tells me that is why my prediction for them is is low. It is negative for them this year. I think I will not go absolute worst case, but I'm going to go around a 6 and 6 team again this year, maybe 7 and 5. I do think that they will win that Auburn game early in the year. I'm just not going to know we none of us are going to know enough about Auburn. If Auburn slams Cal 52 to 20 or 52 17, and, and, and A&M loses at Miami, then we'll rethink that. Absolutely we'll rethink that. But before the season, before seeing a single game, or knowing who the quarterback is or anything like that, I'll put it this way. If you're an A&M fan or if you're looking at A&M's perspective, you better not lose to Auburn. That, that season's going to go downhill very fast if you do. If you're Auburn, you can beat A&M, start 4-0, all of a sudden – yeah, you're going to get perky about the Georgia game. Still don't, still don't love the chance, but all of a sudden you can take that loss, still feel great about what's been going on so far. Uh, and, and so that game is a big game in September for A&M. It just is. They just – even though we have expectations for Auburn, even though we expect Auburn to get back to a certain place very soon, if you're A&M, you cannot lose to Auburn this year. That would, that would be detrimental to their season. And then you've got a rival Arkansas the next week, then you got Bama, then at Tennessee – it it, it, get, it gets gradually worse, culminating with Bama, but not even really kind of plateauing because at Tennessee is not fun either, especially if pool's for real and that ends up being another nine or ten win uh, Tennessee team. That's not going to be fun either. So that's a look at AM football. It is going to be a chaotic mess, I believe. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, usually chaos is fun as long as it's not involving your team. But uh, Texas A&M, they're going to have a lot of questions they need to answer. Again, as we highlight, if you join in at the end of that, we highlight at the beginning, there is a pathway for them. They've got talent. It's not a bunch of two-star players transferring from North Texas or, or Rice or something somewhere in the state of Texas. It's not all a bunch of those guys. they got big-time recruits there, and they've got a big name as the head coach, and a big name as an OC. But at some point, the name needs to turn into results. And this is the year that that needs to happen. We're going to take our final time out of the show. We come back in Nightly TV Guide to wrap things up. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Final couple minutes of this Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Brent Dontre with you. Again, another reminder that tomorrow's show will only be one hour. Uh, Atlanta Falcons pregame starts at 4 for their first preseason game. We're the proud affiliate of the Atlanta Falcons here in East Alabama on Tiger 95.9. So 6 o'clock kickoff, 4 o'clock airtime, so we will only have a one-hour show Tomorrow. Final minute or two of this show today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for
0: the evening. Here's Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide.
1: Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we got? Oh, I'll tell you what we got. We got a lot of movies
3: tonight. Uh, the Braves are not playing tonight, so I went ahead and threw in some movies for you. 6 30 on FX, your Marvel fix for the evening. Iron Man 2 Robert Downey Jr. stars. As Iron Man, Tony Stark, great movie. Seven o'clock on AMC. Dwayne the Rock Johnson is back in action with San Andreas. He's a helicopter pilot trying to save his daughter from a massive earthquake. That's your synopsis yeah, of the movie. Okay. Seven thirty on BBC America. Elysium. That's a Matt Damon post-apocalyptic yep. movie. Seen it. Very it's, good. It is. I like a, it. It's a pretty decent movie. And then your family pick for the eat, or yeah your family movie pick for the evening. Seven thirty on Freeform. Ratatouille. Disney Pixar's Ratatouille.
1: Do you ever did you ever get hungry watching Ratatouille? No.
3: I it, have you ever seen? It, it gave me a false, uh, uh, false. What ratatouille actually?
1: Okay, because like I, I
3: I got hungry for it. Like uh-huh. I was like, oh, that looks good, and then I actually saw ratatouille in person. I was like, mm, that's not the same.
2: <laughs> I so y'all know this about me. I'm an extremely picky eater. There's nothing in that movie that I would eat. Wow, not even <laughs> so like I just well, I eat the bread. I I like bread. Too
3: much. (laughs) Sports picks for you this evening. Limited sports menu for you tonight. 6 o'clock on ESPN. Followed up at 8 o'clock with Little League Baseball. The regionals continue. World Series starts next Wednesday in Williamsport. Uh, 8 o'clock tonight on Fox. Big Fox. FIFA Women's World Cup continues with the quarterfinal matches getting underway. Spain versus the Netherlands. And, of course, tonight at 8 o'clock on ESPN DOS. It's the Superstar Racing Experience back. Um, Eldora Speedway. Kyle Busch has won two races in a row came in and just started dominating the sport already and uh, we got two races left in the season we'll see if anybody can dethrone them now and that's the night let's see the guy I brought to reference at White Collard itself. save
1: some for the rest of the drivers huh Kyle yeah huh Rowdy that'll do it for the show today Brooks thank you very much for that TV guy and thank you very much for being here we'll see you again in the shortened show tomorrow see you then Brent thank you for being here today hope you have a great rest of your week sir and uh, good luck I guess first time last time on air Till you start nope you've got one more show I do. School I starts next week, but we you're Monday. on Monday. Had to do this live, live radio. All right, Brant. But I hope you have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again Monday. Thanks for having me. That will do it for the show today. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in for Brant Daughtry and Brooks Childress. My name is Ryan Lavoy. Have a great Thursday night. Remember, shorten show tomorrow, and we'll talk to you then.